Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this very 14th of September, 2015. Hang on. Mike, quick, quick calculation for me. What's 14 plus 10? Uh, that would be 24. 24. 24th of September. Why does that ring a bell for me? Fourth of September. That's right. It's a trick question. September is my birthday month. It never ends. It's the entire month. I'm actually pushing to get it to three or four months, but so far, in my family at least, one month isn't even really taking uh, in so far as I'm getting a lot of pushback from people in my family, uh, not to mention so-called friends about my birthday month. Uh, calm down, calm birthday. down. I've I've already arranged for determinist dressed in Freddie Mercury outfits to jump out of a cake. So you'll be all set on your birthday stuff. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Excellent. No, I um, uh, this is an important birthday for me. Only forty nine this year, which means it's my last year to be young. Because you know, the eighteen to forty nine that is the demographic. After that, you are uh, you're in the Matlock demo. <laughs> yeah, you're beyond the you're beyond the pale. Um, so. <laughs> You get short suspenders, uh, a stick to whittle with, and uh, when balls come over your your uh, fence uh, in your yard, you just keep them because, you know, they should know better. And uh, don't like the looks of those teenagers anymore. Used to like the looks of those teenagers. Now it's just bitterness and creakiness. Uh, but it's on the, on the plus side, you will know when a storm is coming at least three days in advance based upon your joints. So I hear there's lots to look forward to. And, uh, yeah, my birthday is on the 24th. Uh, just in case anybody was wondering. And um, I'll take donations in lieu of presents <laughs> at freedomainradio.com slash donate. But no need to wait until then. September is always an exciting month. Everyone's back to school. Everybody's out of money. So um, please feel free to drop by. Freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out. Always a very essential and necessary thing because we selfishly still like to eat. All right, Mike, who do we have up first? All right, well, Rob is up first, and Rob wrote in and said, UPB is great. I love it. However, can I suggest some clarification on the method and some possible ways to communicate it better? And after that, he has some follow-up questions, but I think that's a good place to start. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hello. Hello. Let's, let's start at the beginning, and let's mm. you know, take a long, sensual, lingering mud bath over the comment that UPB <laughs> is great. I think we should focus the majority <laughs> of the call on that, uh, because that, of course, is the most important thing about what you said. Afterwards, I don't know, it just kind of all got garbled for me, but I think that first point is very important. <laughs> well, I basically wanted to call in and run over it with you to make sure I understand what you're saying. Um, I think I do, but I also think because I've been looking for a lot of opposition to what you're saying on the internet, and the most common thing is that people don't know what you're talking about, and so they're, <laughs> they're, they're attacking something that is not what you're saying. Right. And so I thought there would be some sort of value in me explaining to you what I think it is, and you telling me if that's correct. Do you Sounds know? great. If you want to steal someone's property, if I take your property, if you want me to take your property, it's not theft. So theft only arises if I take your property and you don't want me to take your property. So your judgment, because it's your property, so you have ownership of it, your judgment of my action is binary in that either you, you either do or don't want me to take it, and that's what matters. Is that correct? I wouldn't, I wouldn't start there. No. No, I mean, this is a, the jumping into the deep end. I mean, there's, there's a reason why there's a little bit of foreplay in, uh, in UPB. 
probably the only way that you could describe well, anything. Could I, um... in a sexual way. But hang on. So, so the first thing that I would start is, is just to say that um, UPB says basically that we focus not on specific actions. We focus on theories, right? In the same way a scientific theory or a scientific hypothesis does not focus on a specific rock or, or star or, or black hole, but rather focuses on the behavior of matter and energy in general. And it needs to be universalizable. You know, if I say yesterday, well, I saw a rock float in, an, in the air for a second before it fell, um, but, and, and that could never be reproduced, then, you know, you, you can't really do anything with that. It needs to be something that's reproducible and universal. And so if you have a theory of, uh, of, of property rights, so if you have a theory that says... Uh, theft is moral, theft is good, theft is universally preferable behavior, then you run into a contradiction immediately, which is that if theft is universally preferable behavior, then everyone must want to both steal and be stolen from. But if somebody wants to be stolen from, that's not theft. Like, you know, the old argument is if I, if I leave a, an armchair out on my front lawn with a sign saying, take me, I'm free, <laughs> uh, then um, it, the person who takes it is not is not stealing from me because I want them to take it from me. And so theft can only occur if one person wants to take someone else's property, right? If nobody wants to take anyone else's property, theft will never occur, but it's never going to, people are always going to want to steal. So theft can only occur when two human beings have opposite preferences. My preference for you not to take my property and your preference to take my property. And so because we have oppositional preferences for theft to occur, theft cannot be universally preferable behavior. Now, a respect for property can be universally preferable behavior, right? Two guys in a room can both respect each other's property. But if two guys in a room, uh, they both, like one has an iPad, one has an iPod, and theft is universally preferable, then the guy who has the iPad should want to steal the iPod and should also want the guy to steal his iPad. But if you want someone to take your property, it's not theft. So theft can only be sustained if it is um, not universalizable, which means that um, the, uh, the, the idea that theft is universally preferable behavior can't be, uh, you know, can't be sustained. And you kind of don't need to go, so just look at the theory, right? And, and, and so, right, there's only, there's only three possibilities when it comes to universals, right? Either a, a hypothesis can be universalized, or it can't be universalized, or it is universalized to some degree. Right, so um, you can say um, everyone should like jazz. No one should like jazz. Some people like jazz. Now, of course, the truth is that some people like jazz um, because they just haven't heard enough Queen. But um, oh, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because jazz is the name of a Queen album. <laughs> anyway, so when it comes to theft, you can say theft is universally preferable behavior. Everyone should want to steal and be stolen from at all times, which is not logically possible and therefore can be dismissed without any further investigation. Or, number two, um, respect for property is universally preferable behavior, which can be universalized. Or number three, sometimes respect for property should be uh, universally preferable behavior, and sometimes it shouldn't be. And the moment you get into sometimes, you're no longer dealing really with philosophy. You're dealing with uh, a whole bunch of subjective, relativistic, who knows what, right? So I think that's sort of where I would start with, with, with theft. Yeah, I, I did sort of jump in a bit too much. Um, 
I was going to go back to the universal thing. I think that's where a lot of people have a problem with it, is that it is a universal moral standard. Um, am I correct in saying that you focus establishing universality on the act of debating? Because if you debate or bother to con you know, um, try to change somebody's mind, you're automatically setting a preference for a universal standard, which is true versus false. So you're automatically demonstrating universally preferable behavior. Oh, absolutely. If you expect somebody else to reject his or her position and conform to a more rational or a rational position, then you're saying that a rational position is infinitely preferable to an irrational position, that the other person must, to be true, give up an irrational position and take a rational position, and that truth is infinitely preferable to falsehood, and so on, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of these being the case, this is when people argue against universally preferable behavior. They're saying it's universally preferable behavior to not believe in universally preferable behavior. And, and that's just such a short circuit. It takes a mm -hmm. huge amount of trauma and propaganda to not see that right off the bat. I'm not talking about you. I just, you know, in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just be upfront. Like, emotionally, I'm 100% on board with it. I think it's great, you know? I'm, but that's I, I mean, where the danger is, right? If you're emotionally drawn to something, that's where you have to really push back uh, against it. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I mean, a lot of my, sorry to interrupt, but just sort of an example, right. uh, a lot of my, um, uh, I don't know how we put it, current skepticism towards all things multicultural and uh, the diversity thing. I mean, uh, early on in my career in the business world, uh, I was in charge of uh, a diversity outreach and newsletter and program for a major Canadian corporation, and I had absolutely no doubts about the value of diversity and multiculturalism, and uh, um, I, I advocated for this in various university outreach things that I was involved in, uh, and the same thing with, um, you know, women oppressed throughout history. Uh, all of these things, I had no more doubt than I do that the world is round, and um, you know, when uh, some information came my way that was counter to it, I, I just initially wanted to be like, oh, you know, come on. <laughs> I'm not going to examine the flat earth thing either. And I, you know, like, I mean, I, I don't have time. But the evidence seemed to be very compelling about the negative effects of multiculturalism and so on. And so, you know, you just, when you, when you automatically believe something, and particularly when you believe that it's virtuous, then that's when you need to really immerse yourself in the counter arguments. Uh, and uh, yeah. That's, uh, that was sort of my, my history with that stuff. Well, um, yeah, I mean, great point. Um, can I just say, too, just as an aside, I don't, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, no I, problem. I, I understand. Just, I'm, I'm sort of just still calming down. So if my thoughts are a little bit scattered, I'm, I'm sort of getting there, and it's early in the morning Listen, for me. Man, the, the thing to remember is that if this show is as innovative, deep, and great as I think it is, people will still be listening to this in a thousand years. So just, just think of the next thousand years of people listening to you over and over and over again, trying to find every conceivable flaw and fault and, and, and all that. that that'll Steph, you're helping again. People. Stop it. What? You're helping what? again. Stop it. Hang on. Hang on. I just freaked myself out. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, well, look, with that said, because you're right, I have to be skeptical of... Um, and a lot of people trip up about the idea of morality being universal. That's a big sticking point for a lot of people, it seems. It's not well, not for me, but I thought, well, uh, why don't I put my brain into gear and see if I could prove why morality would have to be universal. So I very humbly go out of my depth and uh, give a suggestion to you. Do you remember, um, Not, I'm sure you've heard about it, but um, for the listeners, 
Socrates Euthyphro. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Euthyphro d- dilemma. Have you heard of that? Um, I I know Euthyphro and uh, Socrates, but I don't know the actual dilemma off the top of my head. But feel free to refresh me. I mean, I heard it years ago because I think someone like Richard Dawkins threw it out as a argument against the idea that we couldn't be moral without God. But I mean, obviously, thanks to you, I can see now how you can throw any of these arguments back against the state. But he basically said, um, okay, you, if God says something is good, is it good because he said so? Or is he saying so because it's good? Oh, yeah, I did a podcast on this whole thing. I didn't know it was oh, by his name. Or, you know, by, yeah, power power versus virtue a love story i think it was called and it was it was pretty early on but uh, i i don't need to oh yes i i understand it i mean is god's commandments uh, are they good because god made them in other words do you, uh, do you worship power or do you worship virtue mm. power or virtue a love story and mm. if something is good simply because god says so then the only reason it can be good is because he is powerful not because he is good and that's just a base worship of power which has nothing to do with ethics. Mm. On the other hand, if what God says is good because it conforms to a standard of virtue that is not just centered around God's power, which means it can't be virtuous, if there's a standard of virtue by which we can judge whether what God says is good or bad, then that standard of virtue exists independently of a deity and therefore you don't need a deity to be good. Yeah. And do you think that in the first case where it's like it's a might is right argument, you could also extrapolate that out to being simply a state of nature? where, you know, not that anyone's calling anything good, but they're basically doing what they can get away with, like animals. Well, they'll eat that animal because they can or, you know, you know what I mean? So if, they, if those are the two only two options, that something is good because God said so, well, that's really an argument against morality. It's an argument saying it's like a state of nature, that might is right. He can, he's just well, no, no, that's an argument. No, that's an argument that says that totalitarians are virtuous. Right. I mean, if uh, if you Isn't look at the cult of personality behind people like Mao Zedong uh, in uh, China or um, uh, Stalin in Russia, they had huge power over people mm. and people thought that their proclamations were virtuous. Right. In, in which case, if if might makes right, then Stalin or or Hitler and so on were all uh, virtuous. Um, people are generally pretty pretty all good with the idea that might does not equal right and that it's not it's not a valid thing so in essence like in my brain i sort of extrapolated it out to like a system of no morality where people are just doing what they can get away with you know what okay I mean? okay so let's say let's say that you have a system annihilism right a system called no morality yeah okay then when people proclaim a universal morality are they wrong sorry so if you have, a, as, as your perspective, I'm not saying this is you, but sort of mind, mind game time. And if a nihilist says there's no such thing as morality, then the nihilist must logically oppose those who say there is such a thing as morality, right? Okay, well, can I extrapolate sort of my whole hang thing? Hang on, is, hang on, hang on. That's not the end of that thought, right? Oh, sorry. And so if, if the nihilist says there's no morality and the ethicist says there is morality, then the nihilist and the ethicist are at odds, right? Mm. And if the nihilist says to the ethicist, you are wrong, there is no such thing as morality, and you should change your arguments for morality, you should abandon them and you should accept nihilism because nihilism is true and morality is false, 
Well, the nihilist has just exercised UPB because he's saying you have uh, false arguments. They're either irrational or anti-empirical, and uh, therefore you should abandon them and accept the rational and empirical arguments against morality. Uh, and so the nihilist is immediately saying that consistency and uh, accordance with the evidence and conformity with reason is, uh, is infinitely preferable to error. And yep. once you accept that, then you already have accepted UPB. I mean, there's no way. The, the nihilism is like the determinism argument. You simply cannot argue against anybody else. Like, everybody wants the capacity to argue. Everybody wants the capacity to disagree with other people. Everybody wants the capacity to prove other people wrong and to get angry at them and to reject them and to scorn them. I don't mean you, but just in general, most people want that. Hmm. And the way they do that is through UPP, whether they know it or not. Hmm. And um, everybody wants the fun toy called being right, but nobody wants the responsibility of everything that comes along with wanting to be right, like needing to disprove things and UPB and reason and evidence and so on, right? Mm. So I just sort of wanted to, there's sort of an emotional driver. Everybody likes to conquer other people by being right, but then everybody rejects all the standards by which they're supposed to conquer people by being right, which is reason and evidence. Yeah, for sure. Um, but a nihilist could say, well, if there's no standard, that I've got no interest in, in truth or I'm just going to do what I can. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, if, but if the, if the nihilist never justifies his actions in any way, shape, or form, and if the nihilist never tells anyone else that he or she is wrong, and if the nihilist never promotes nihilism as true, you would have no idea that person is a nihilist. Yeah, it's Like true. the moment come, someone comes up to you and says, I'm a nihilist, they've just revealed a vast amount of information about themselves and that they accept that nihilism is true because it conforms to reason and evidence and blah de blah de blah Like the only way you'll ever know... Mm if someone is, an, is a nihilist, is if they're engaged in a public debate and uh, they bring their perspective to bear. Or like, if somebody is, is truly a nihilist, then they're completely invisible in the sphere of public uh, debate. Mm. Uh, they simply don't exist. And, and so, who cares, right? <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. if somebody never practices science and never writes anything down that's scientific and never presents his papers or never puts forward his ideas... Or, who cares? I mean, the scientists move on. Like, this guy doesn't exist in that universe. Mm. Well, I was also thinking, too, that, um, like I was saying, if one option is that there is no morality, if you ever met one of these hypothetical people that reject the idea of morality, I mean, they would have no basis at all if you stole their car to say, oh, that's a bad thing to do. So, like, as soon as you... Well, no, they could, they could say, I don't like it or whatever, right? And they might even shoot you, but they probably, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, they, they couldn't use a universal moral judgment like good, bad... Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, uh, nihilism, I guess, is something that, that you wrestle with. Uh, we, all, we all do pretty early on. But I, I've, I find the topic so dull because it's so obviously self-defeating. And generally, nihilists are just cowards. Mm. Because nihilists like to pick on people who are unsophisticated philosophically, mm. who are untutored. And it doesn't take a lot to pick apart most of the common ideas about morality. It really doesn't. And so nihilists are, are like, people, they, they love to go around unraveling other people's beliefs, but they won't go up against a competent philosopher in general. Mm. I mean, Mike, I can't recall. I don't know if we've ever had a nihilist who has the balls to come on and talk to me. No, I, that's, I'm just thinking of it. I, I don't even get any emails from people that are like, I'm a nihilist, let's uh, set up a show or call or something. Yeah, I mean, I did a whole, um, I did a whole podcast and, and video on nihilism. 
and you know what ridiculous bullshit it was. And people got all flamey in the oh, comments, yeah, right? It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> I do <laughs> seven or eight hours of shows a week. Feel free to call in. And they all go, oh, I do. <laughs> Apparently nihilism is just <laughs> Greek for chicken shit uh, because they mm. just, they don't. They, they like, they'll, they'll pick on people, you know, they'll, they'll pick on some secretary somewhere who, you know, doesn't really know much about philosophy and so on. But when, when it comes to debating somebody with any competence, they're really just a bunch of chickens. I just, I just think they're just a bunch of bullies and, and sneaky cowards. And so, well, you know, which mm. kind of makes sense, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, if what you said that they'd have to show a preference, and what I'm saying is that you have to show some preference at some point for the concept of morality. I've never met anyone like that. Well, and so. they know. They know that because I know what I'm doing, they come on my show, and I've, I've got them on the ropes in 10 to 15 seconds. Mm. Literally 10 to mm. 15 seconds. Yeah. Now this show, you know, and you can see this publicly, just over the last 30 days, 2.5 million video views. That's not even counting any of the podcasts, which are usually equal to or greater than that. So, you wow. know, they can, they can come on this show and they can get hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people over the long run to listen to their arguments. What an incredible opportunity that would be. Mm. Right? I mean, wh why would you possibly, if you really cared about your belief system, this is the place you come to get your belief system out there. And if you really believe that I'm unbelievably full of shit, then come on and show me that I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, people were so upset at the single mom video that we put out uh, a couple weeks back. And I was like, please, please. I was trying so hard to get someone to call in and talk about it. No one wanted to. I've been trying to get Bernie Sanders supporter. I really want Bernie Sanders supporter to call in. No one will call in. <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah, and, and it's, it's sad. I mean, it's sad. It's sad because anybody with any self-knowledge would recognize that they had an unprecedented opportunity to get the word out and to show me how wrong I was and, and all that. And, you know, but all these brave keyboard warriors who just, you know, call me an idiot on the Internet, it's like, hey, you know, come on into the studio, come on into the conversation. And, uh, you know, it's just a big, giant, empty chamber of nothingness because, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, it's usual. It's just all talk. You know, it's it's just uh, just a bunch of cowards and, and bullies and, and crap like that. And uh, oh, you always get the same thing. You know, well, I'm I'm not that comfortable in a public forum and I don't really know. Well, get comfortable, damn it. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a cause, figure it out. I found it's a big tragedy because um, I was trolling some videos of, you know, um, what's wrong with UPB yesterday just to sort of get my brain into gear for today. And I think there was someone quoted something from your book. And then turned to the camera and said, wait, what the hell's up with that? And then moved on to the next point. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. He's Airline serious. food? What's up with that? Uh -huh. <laughs> Public washrooms? What's up with those? This like, is not oh, comedy no. genius. Right? Oh, no. You know, the, that's the John Stewart, you know, where you, you jam together two things which makes the person look like he's contradicting himself. And yeah. then you give a funny look. Well, well, I don't care. Yeah. Well, 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 right? And you just, you know, make a couple of funny jokes and, and this and that and the other, right? Like yeah. uh, Stephen Colbert had um, uh, one of his opening segments, right? He wants to, he, he, he's as liberal as, you know, the ghost of Mao. And uh, he wants to establish his liberal bona fides, right? Like at the beginning of 30 Rock, where they have the idiot homeschooled children talking about men and dinosaurs living together. That you just have to, you have to put out the, the sonar for your audience to know that none of their liberal sensibilities will be upset by uh, anything going on in the show. So he gets like Donald Trump and puts him together with like KKK imagery, right? Mm. 
And I mean, it's like, oh, God, that's so sad. Because, mm. you know, there's Donald Trump, and now I've got a funny joke with KKK. And it's just like, oh, my God. And the funny thing is, is that KKK is actually quite appropriate in that compared to R, he's triple K. <laughs> you know, the R versus K stuff that I've been doing in the Gene Wars. KKK, without any racist overtones, of course, yeah, he's triple K. <laughs> and mm. I just think that's actually kind of funny. And now Donald Trump's going to go on, you know, and this is why I don't go on mainstream media, because it's like, you know, first thing I'd say is, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, like, I'm a serious thinker. I've published some great books. I've done some great TV. Uh, I really want to help this nation. And you're throwing up pictures of me with the Klan? What are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? Have you ever done that with... Uh, and it said, you know, the interesting thing, you've never done that with a Democrat. And the KKK was actually the military or the pseudo-military offshoot of the Democratic Party. So putting me, a Republican, in, the, in around the KKK is not only personally offensive, it's historically the opposite of the truth. So get your shit together and stop being a propagandist. Or if you're going to be a satirist, at least be an even-handed one. Mm. But anyway, sorry, I know we've drifted off a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, so not, yeah, I think I, I just don't want to spend a lot, lot of time, and I haven't talked about nihilism in forever. But it's just, uh, it's you know, you just know it's just going to be another one of these, uh, you know, guys in the basement, and and they they have no idea why UPB bothers them. I do, but they have mm. no idea why UPB bothers them so much, and. Um, mm. And there's some stuff to nitpick in the book. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's some stuff to nitpick in the book, which I think is you know, fine and fair. And I've had some suggestions for improvement and so on. But um, nonetheless, uh, people have still been unable to overthrow mm. the, the core theory. And, uh, you know, we've, I've had, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 people come strongly on to debate UPB, um, uh, both publicly and in sort of prof- uh, more formal um, debates and also on this show, maybe closer to 50 now. I don't know, but it's been a lot. And um, nobody's been able to overturn it. And that's just because you can't. <laughs> I mean, you, as soon as you're debating, anyway. So um, let, let's, uh, in terms of how better to communicate it, that's a, that is a challenge. I've mean, done the ABCs of you have a out there. That. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but I, I just wanted to, I feel like I only got started on the first point. So yep. maybe can I just spit it out really quickly? Please do. Um, if the two options are like, if nobody ever makes a moral statement, then you're necessarily in a state of nature where there is no morality. But if someone makes a moral statement, and sorry, then you hang, ask, on, hang on, hang on, hmm? hang on. But morality is a subset of universality, right? Because because you can make you can make universal statements that aren't ethical, that aren't moral. You know, a, a scientific hypotheses are universal statements that have, have nothing to do with morality. Right? Gases expand when heated. It's not a moral statement, right? Um, and so it's not, it's not that if people reject morality, people have to reject universality as a whole. Because mm. the moment that they say that there's universalities, a universality is only universality because it's in accordance with reason and or evidence. What would and you so they have the to of... universalities as a whole, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's impossible to do. But sorry, go ahead. What would you call the state of no people around and nature's just doing its thing then? You mean before, like the... If nobody had the capacity to say, make any moral statement whatsoever. You mean pre-human? Yeah. 
well, what, what would it matter what I call it? It's, it's, it's nature. It's just, uh, it's, you know, it's the law of the jungle. It's the law of survival and sex and, and Yeah, and that's and why so. I equated it to the, the authority, argument from authority. Something is good because I said so, because I'm big and stronger. It's like a law of the jungle. It's essentially an argument. No, 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 no. no? You can't, sorry to interrupt, but you can't conflate those two. The, no? the lion does not say to the gazelle, I mean, if the lion could speak, it wouldn't say that I get to eat you because I'm more moral. It would say, well, you get eaten because I caught you and I'm hungry and that's what I do. Okay, sure. Now, the moment the, moment that the, the, moment the lion had the capacity to reason, to speak, to philosophize, then it would be subject to ethics and then jumping and ripping apart, uh, you know, would be uh, somewhat more questionable if there were other uh, mm. alternatives and so on. But, okay, uh, so you, you either are in a system of morality or you're not. Like, if you can't comprehend it, because you're talking about this thing with the animals, that they exist outside of morality because they can't comprehend it, and I spent a fair bit of time on that. But if you are in the position as a human being to say, well, something is good or bad or make a moral judgment, then you necessarily would have to be like option B. I'm, I'm saying it because it's moral. You're alluding to the fact that it is moral objectively outside what I'm saying, and I'm just adhering to that. I'm not saying it because it is moral because I said so. Well, you know again, I mean? uh, somewhat, to some degree, we're begging the question, though, because we're trying to establish what morality is or how to argue for it, and you're already using moral. That's why universally preferable behavior, I think, is a better term than morality. Morality is a subset of universally preferable behavior, but it exists in other areas as well. Mm. Uh, certainly, okay. uh, if you want to be a scientist, it's universally preferable behavior to use the UPB methodology called the scientific method. And uh, if you're a doctor, right, you do mm. that which is beneficial to people's health or whatever, a nutritionist and so on. So there are universal principles in just about in every discipline, in, in engineering and uh, even mm. in music and so on, right? I mean, you, you want to play <laughs> your uh, music in a range that not only dogs can hear, but also people, right? Uh, and so there's UPB in every aspect of, of human endeavor, and one of those subsets mm. would be uh, ethics. I imagined a, a conversation between two people, and because um, obviously, like I said, I'm just total amateur hour with this, but I, I imagine one guy coming up to another guy and saying, um, to not murder is good, and the other guy says, okay, is it good because you say so, or are you saying so because it's good? Obviously, Okay, why don't, you be, why don't you be that guy? Right, let's do do role play, and you be the nihilist, right? And you would come up and say, Hi. "I don't think I'd do very well." <laughs> no, just give it a try. You'd be surprised if you've been to public school. You'd be surprised how close nihilism is to the surface of your mind. Um, but well, uh, so he would you, you come up and say, "says you know not murder." Oh, so I I say murder is wrong, right? Yeah, and I say, um, "Is it wrong because you say it's wrong, or are you saying it's wrong because it's universally wrong?" Like. You know, it, are you are you saying it because it is wrong, or is it wrong because you said so? Well, if it's wrong because I said so, that wouldn't be philosophy. No, and right? that's, that's philosophy my point. Has so that's, that's aims, aims to put forward, yeah, aims to put forward universal theories, or so theories that's at least which deal with universality. Well, the problem is the word ridiculous is not an argument, so that's what I would say to this person, right? So sure. saying that something is ridiculous uh, shows that you don't really understand how philosophy works. But the way that philosophy works, of course is that it aims to put forward, just like science does, as mm. universal a set of propositions with reference to reason and evidence as possible. And so it's not like murder is wrong because it has some, some invisible ghost called wrongness inside of it. Murder is wrong because it is impossible to come up with 
a rational theory called murder is universally preferable behavior. Everyone should murder all the time. Then, you know, we'd run through the arguments which we did at the beginning with mm. regards to theft. Mm. And so it cannot be that murder is universally preferable behavior. And so the only way that murder can show up in universality is to be banned. That murder is not universally preferable behavior. In fact, to not murder is universally preferable behavior because it can be achieved by everyone uh, at all times. Of course, there'll be people who will still mm. kill uh, because individual actions, you know, un unlike science where atoms don't have free will, uh, people can choose to disobey a theory. Uh, of course, atoms can't choose to disobey a theory, which is why any conflict between even the slightest deviation of material behavior in a universal hypothesis disfavors the hypothesis. But if you, all right, so if you said, if I pose that question to you, obviously the Socrates question, and the first answer is invalid, then you're necessarily saying that you're saying it's wrong because it's, you're, you're just adhering to a standard outside yourself. Would that be correct? Yes. I mean, because the, the question of ethics as, as, as power or theory, well, power cannot be why we believe things. No. So right. if option and, two and is so the only valid option. Ethics. Yeah. So the, the, only, the only valid option when it comes to ethics is that behavior conforms with a theory of universality. Yeah. And the and reason so we know it has to be universal is that ethics in general deals with that which is aggressively imposed upon other people, right? So if I like jazz and you like blues, we can both put on our headphones and I can enjoy my jazz and you can enjoy your blues. And, you know, we haven't uh, inflicted things on each other. But ethics deals with that aspect of human behavior or those aspects of human behavior wherein behaviors or preferences are aggressively inflicted upon others. Now, it cannot be right that any aggressive behavior can universally be inflicted on others and be called moral. Because they would all cancel each other out, right? Like if everyone gets to kill mm. everyone else, well, first of all, it can't be killing if everybody wants to be killed, if killing is a universal value. If murder is a universal value, then people want to be murdered. And if theft is a universal value, then people want to be stolen from, which means it's not theft. If rape is a universal value, then people want to be raped, which means it can't be rape. If assault is a universal value, it means people want to be beaten up, which might be kinky or might be boxing, but certainly isn't the same as assault. Mm. And so the, the aspects of human behavior wherein we're dealing with actions aggressively imposed upon others is the proper study of uh, ethics. And uh, there's no way to universalize the aggressive imposition of violent actions upon another human being. Therefore, the only valid moral approach to these is to ban them. Dude, I was trying to think of a proof of why it, it has to be universalized because a lot of people have a problem with that. And so like I was saying, why, why what has to be universalized? Well, any of these moral propositions. I mean, obviously I, I am cool with the idea of it. Obviously I'm, I think it's valid, but um, a lot of people don't or don't see the value in it. So, I mean, that's what I was saying. Like if, if anyone may, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry. I'm just so, their argument is, and again, I wish we'd have one of these people on here because it's a little tough to do this third hand. Yeah. But the argument is, what is the value in universalizing a question of ethics? I don't know what the argument is, but a lot of people will say... But that's what ethics is. I mean, it's like saying, well, what, is, what is the value of universalizing a scientific theory? Because that's what scientific theories are. 
I mean, if you're doing some, if you if you're not universalizing your hypothesis, it may be something. I I don't know what it would be, but it's not science. Science is, by its very definition, that which universalizes hypotheses, uh, or it deals with hypotheses that universalize. But I, I was trying to think of, of what I would, and or energy. Sorry. Yeah, I was trying to think of what I would say to anyone who says, "Well, why does it have to be universal?" And I was, I would say, "Well, obviously, as I pose a question to you, like, if if someone makes." A moral statement the only the second option would be valid because the first option is invalid so the second option is that well i'm i'm relaying something that is an objective standard outside of myself i'm conforming it's, my words and no, actions it's, it's to the standard the definition if, if you want to like if you want to play in mathematics screaming random syllables at a piece of paper may be something it's not mathematics mathematics is universal by its nature two plus two make four and people say well why why does mathematics have to be universal because because that's what mathematics is. <laughs> right? I mean, sorry, if you want to do something non-universal, mm. then you have to go do something else. But, you, you know, you, you can't go to, to a, a math symposium and, and come up with a big argument about how two and two make four is not universal. It is universal. So, so that's what math and that's what ethics are. Well, why should ethics be universal? It's like, well, because that's what ethics is. I mean, if you want to do something that's not universal, do something that's not ethics. Do something that's aesthetics or something. But as you say, they are optional. They're not subjective, but they are optional. What are optional? Ethics. You can choose to be corrupt. Oh, sure. And you can choose to um, do bad math. Hmm. Right. I mean, so, and you can choose to, to have bad scientific theories. I, I can choose, you know, there's a guy who does wonderful correlations between things that are completely unrelated. So, for instance, I think he's got a graph which is drowning deaths in the United States compared to frequency of Nicolas Cage movies. Mm -hmm. And he just he finds data that overlaps. Mike, see if you can dig this up. If he's got some pretty funny ones, like these just make no sense. But the data just coincidentally happens to overlap. And this is his hobby, you know. I mean, I don't know, maybe he never discovered pornography, but this is his hobby. <laughs> and what he does is he finds statistical data sets that just overlap and they're just funny. And there's just really strange correlations. Now, I mean, that's a pretty funny hobby, mm. but it has nothing to do with actual social sciences or political science or and he would never say these things are causal and it's just a, it's a pretty funny way of showing the ridiculousness of you know correlation does not e equal causation all right okay u.s spending on science space and technology correlates with suicides by hanging strangulation and suffocation <laughs> those nasa bastards can you imagine now if it was snorting tang that got you killed then we could understand it right does he have any others that, am i right about drownings versus nick cage movies it's actually number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlates with films nicholas cage appeared in <laughs> yeah <the> <laughs> mm, absolutely per capita cheese consumption number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets oh, now the funny thing is is that with drowning in Nick Cage movies, if Nick Cage had starred in the movie Deadpool, that would actually make a lot more sense. But he didn't even do that to my memory. So, so one so more, that's one just, more, one more. Yeah, go ahead. Divorce rate in Maine correlates with per capita consumption of margarine. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in Maine and you don't want to get divorced, switch to butter. <laughs> actually, as a sex aid, I assume butter would probably be better as a whole, just not salted. <laughs> Does he have any others? Oh, there's, we'll put a link. there's a ton of them. Um, worldwide non-commercial space launches correlates with sociology doctorates awarded. Um, 
Per capita. So science and the exact opposite of science. (laughs) Per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese correlates with civil engineering doctorates awarded. Um, People who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat correlates with the marriage rate in Kentucky. (laughs) Well, I would assume that's because a lot of marriage ceremonies in Kentucky involve fishing boats. (laughs) Ah, hook me a good one. A mermaid. U.S. crude oil imports from Norway correlates with drivers killed in a collision with railway train. <laughs> now, if they were shipped over, that would make sense. But Norway, I'm pretty sure it comes by sea. We could go and on you all can day. Really, <laughs> yeah, you could go on all day. And some of these correlations are like, they're pretty good, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, 95 plus for a lot of them. Which Yeah, uh, 0.95. So this is the kind of correlation that makes Stoyan go, oh, oh, oh. So, <laughs> it makes him shiver with anticipation. So, yeah, so, so people can say, well, why should things be universal? But it's like, because that's, you know, why should math be universal? Why should science be universal? Why should logic be universal? Why should engineering principles be universal? It's like, because that's what they are, <laughs> right? Why should, why should geography involve land masses? Because that's what it is, right? Why should marine biology involve liquids? Why should, right? I mean, because that's what it is. Anyway, so go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to understand what people's objections are. So, I mean, let me read, um, like I said, I, I went and trolled around for some of the objections and obviously came across the David Gordon review, which is pretty pitiful. But um, I'll read a little quote. He's talking about theft and he said, this argument doesn't work. A thief is someone who takes what does not belong to him. He wants what he steals, but this does not entail that he thinks he's a legitimate owner of the pilfered goods. To take something is not to make a moral claim to own it. And it's like, yeah, but if morality <laughs> is universal then wouldn't other people then be able to just identify that person as corrupt? Wait. Not adhering to universal It's been years since I've read this. But Gordon was saying that a thief does not believe he's the the legitimate owner of the property? No, the thief, one presumes, would not want to take, would not want someone else to take from him what he has stolen, but that does not entail that he would deem someone else who did this a violator of his property rights. But... Right. But why is it so hard for him to say, well, yes, people do bad things? And th- th- this is actually really common. Like people were talking about going, well, well, just because two men can't murder and blah, 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 then people still murder. It's like, yes, people are corrupt. Yeah, that makes as much sense as saying uh, be- because people eat badly, there's mm. no such thing as, as better or worse nutrition. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't. Be, yeah, of course, people can choose to disobey principles because there is mysticism. Uh, it, it does not mean that there's no such thing as science. In fact, the only reason we know there's such a thing as mysticism is because we have science. But sorry, go ahead. So because, as you said, you know, morality is optional, but not subjective. There's three options. There's someone who actually claims who I think is a mythical creature that does not exist. But some hypothetical person that says, I do not believe in morality is is. Um, relevant or I'm not going to adhere to it in any way, like a nihilist, yep. but not really, or someone who's, who then claims the option too is someone who says, yeah, morality is objective, but I do the opposite, which by their own logic, they are then corrupt. Or someone who says, I believe in objective morality and adheres by those standards who then is moral. So there's yeah, a, I mean, know, three I, you options. Know, there, are, there are people who eat cars. Yeah. Like, for, for real, right? And if you have ever, I mean, people, they like break down cars into tiny components and they eat cars. Mm. Now, do they think that cars are nutritious? Yeah, do they think that cars are nutritious? Well, they probably don't, right? Uh, do, do, does, it, does that mean that there's no such thing as nutrition? 
uh, and no such thing as um, being a nutritionist and there's no such thing as a better or worse diet because people eat cars. I mean, this is how philosophy, like morality breaks people. It breaks their brains because if the problem of morality is solved, people have to actually start getting stuff done, right? And so lots of people like to muck around with uh, flagpole scenarios and lifeboat scenarios and basically what they're trying to do is stall everyone else from acting because once the problem of morality has been solved, then you've got to get your ass off your couch and you've got to get your ass out of your professor's chair and you've got to get your ass out of your uh, little cozy corner cubicle of, of compliance and you actually have to go get something done. Mm. And mm. these are the, you know, as soon as you finish planning the battle, you actually have to fight the battle. <laughs> and so people love the planning stage. Mm. They love uh, putting the things and moving stuff around on a map and what if this and what if that because nobody gets shot when you're planning, right? Mm-hmm. But it's when you actually have got your battle plan and the enemy is massing and now it's time to go out and fight. And UPB, by solving these problems, is like, okay, <laughs> now mm. we have to go and fight for it. And mm. people don't want to do that because fighting for virtue puts you in conflict with some rather nasty people, obviously, right? That's the point, right? Fighting, fighting against cancer puts you <laughs> in, uh, in direct conflict with some rather nasty and highly reproductive cells. And so people want to, and I know why you, because if UPB is, is valid, and it is, right? I mean, then, then okay, the problem has been solved, and now we've got to go out, and we've got to go and convince people, and we've got to go and tell people uh, about what virtue is, and there's no doubt anymore, and we, we have mm. to confront people who make their money, because uh, there's two ways that people make money off morality if they're not philosophers. Uh, number one is through, through force, mm. right, which is the, the government says that the law is morality and you must pay through taxes for us to uphold morality through the law. And they make trillions and trillions of dollars around the world through taxes. And so that is the force that people... And the other is faith, that God has decreed what is morality and uh, we will take 10% of your income in order to promote this morality around the world. And if it is neither force nor faith that is the definition of morality, then... As an ethicist and an activist, uh, you, I, everyone, we're putting ourselves in conflict with ancient tyrannies that have been, that, that are all over the world and have been around for thousands of years and have highly entrenched special interests and, and are very aggressive, of course, like smog in the defense of their treasure. And um, it is, uh, you know, it, it is tough to, to get out of the library and get into the ring, right? People, they don't want to do it. I understand that. I understand that, but then they should go and do something else, right? If, if all you want to do is read, yeah, if all you want to do is read boxing manuals while you're sitting in the ring, then you should get out because people actually want to train and they want to fight. And uh, these people, are, they're just in the way. And what they do is they try, to, um, they try to tangle up the feet of anybody in action, right? I mean, I, I, I'm not speaking about anyone in particular, just, just people in general who just nitpick and nitpick and nitpick. Uh, they're trying to tangle up and they're trying to sow the seeds of self-doubt among uh, anybody who comes up with a moral theory. Well, what about this? Or what about that? And it's like, okay, well, I'll, I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll go back and I'll, I'll, I'll work on this. Okay, well, what about this? Okay, uh, I, 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 I guess I'll go back and work on this. What about this scenario? Have you thought about this? Oh, oh, oh okay. I, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Forget mm. it. You know, all they're doing is, is keeping anybody with any energy and commitment out of the ring. So the bad guys win. I mean, they, they really are, in general, serving the immoral powers of the world. Because they're simply continually tripping people up 
and continually sending people back. Well, if you don't have an answer to this scenario, it doesn't work. If you don't have enough, okay, I'll go back. It's like, oh, then I'm dead. <laughs> and I spent 40 years answering useless questions that never show up. This is why I ask people, you know, they come up with these absurd theories, you know, what if space aliens and what if lifeboats and what if flagpoles? And it's like, okay, have you ever faced this problem in your life? Is this a big issue in the world? No. Then go and deal with some big issues and stop clogging up the works with all of these stupid questions that never lead anywhere and simply tie people up who should be out there saving the world. So can I make a suggestion then in the way you communicate the murder thing? Yeah. So I just, I didn't want to, I could keep going, but I, I wanted to sort of move on to another thing, if that's okay. Sure. Last thing. Because I got a bunch of callers tonight, but go for it. I thought so. So when you say two men in a room can't murder each other, I know what you're talking about, and but I think it's it's kind of a confusing way to say that because I think my brain shoots off into imagery of mutually pulled, mutually activated trap doors and all this sort yeah, of yeah. stuff. And I actually don't think it's correct because i think someone can have an intent to murder someone else but not be murdered and they can both accidentally kill each other at the same time but i think what can't happen uh, accidental death is not murder but i know what you mean like you could both no. be strangling each other and theoretically you could both die at exactly the same time while wanting and yeah. not wanting and yeah okay i get it but but the actual criterion of, of this like the smallest thing that cannot happen is that bob cannot kill doug and have both bob and doug kill that uh, call that action good Murder cannot be enacted by both of them at the same time because murder no, no, is something no, but, that must be desired by one person and not desired by the other, and therefore you have opposing desires, which means can't be universalized. But see, that, that when you say murder can't be enacted by both people at the same time, my brain automatically goes to an image of two people trying to murder each other. And I think yeah, that's so the, best, the better way of putting it is to say, but, but the better way of putting it, I suppose, is to say murder cannot be universally preferable. Behavior by two people at the same time against each other. Yeah, but that's when like, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate because I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah, go um, ahead. Um, a lot of people would be like, well, but someone can want to murder someone else and, and, and not want to be murdered. And it's like, yeah, but that's, I think it would, it would be value in pointing out... Well, that, but that's the whole point. It doesn't matter whether it's not one individual because if there was only one individual, there'd be no such thing as ethics, right? Because there would be no possibility. If there was only one individual in the room there'd be no possibility of another individual imposing his will. So it's both individuals. Is it possible for two individuals to commit the act that murder is a universally preferable behavior at the same time? Can, can murder be universally... Let, forget murder for a moment. Just let's go with theft, right? Can theft be universally preferable behavior for two people at the same time? No, it can't. Because theft requires that you don't want someone to take your property. And so you have to want to be stolen from and not want to be stolen from at the same time. And that's a contradiction, which means the thesis fails. What theft do you think about be universally preferable um, behavior? Sorry? What do you think about this way of putting it? As, as, like I said, say you're Bob and Doug. Doug has some property, Bob takes it. At the moment that Bob takes the property, Doug either did or did not want him to take that property. And so it's like a, it's a binary question. I just went over this last night because someone's like, oh, what are these exceptions? Like, okay, but the, and they're like, well, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It's like, no, but at the moment at which someone is either assaulted, raped, murdered, or stolen from, 
in their mind, because their body and their property is their own, they are either wanting or not wanting that action. So the only thing that cannot occur um, is that Bob takes Doug's property and both Bob and Doug agree that that is a good action, a morally good action, that wouldn't be theft. Right. Not that Bob and Doug both have property and that they don't want anyone else to take it because that I think in people's brains it breaks down to, like, I know yeah, what you're talking if, about. If both people but, want the theft, the theft doesn't occur. Yeah, but the you, you don't need to talk about two people in a room, you know, trying to thieve or murder each other. It's just if one person takes another person's property, the person in the simil- in that singular action, the person doing the taking and one being taken from, both need to agree that that is a good thing to happen, that that action is good. Yeah. But yeah. they can't. And if they do, it's not theft. But, I mean, right. when you the way you sort of say that they can't murder each other, that's when people start thinking about, well, trying to mutually kill each other yet not be killed and, and all these strange things, which can't be universalized either, but it's more foggy. But if you just say, yeah. well, Bob can't kill Doug, and at the moment Doug dies or the, the things that are set in motion that end up killing Doug, he either wants or doesn't want that. It's a binary thing. So if he wants it, it's not murder. So at the point that he wants it, murder evaporates, rape, theft and assault will evaporate. So they only happen if at the moment that, that singular action takes place, the one doing it does it and the one having it done to them does not want it to happen. Right. No, and so, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I've, I've done so, that sometimes before, but suddenly I certainly do get uh, pulled into the other mm-hmm. thing from time to time. Um, so but, in, uh, no, no, I think it's a good way of putting it. A man can't murder another man and have both men call that action good. Right. Hmm. Right. Um, no, good, I think that's, a, that's, that's a sticking point for people. Yeah, yes and no. Uh, I mean, it yes could be no. dodging. I mean... No, um, no, what I mean is that, like, if somebody is set against a theory, it almost doesn't matter how you explain it. Mm, right? Like, sure. I mean, if, if people just start immediately throwing up whatever objections they can come up with, um, and look, this is not to say that, that things can't be explained better or can't be done better or whatever, for sure. But if people are emotionally set against a theory, it, it almost doesn't matter how you explain it. Because um, even if you'll get them to, to admit something in the moment, they'll generally just, the, 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 the conversation will vanish tomorrow and they'll be right back where they started, even if with better communication. Now, that's not to say that better communication doesn't mm. help, you know, but I got a free book. I've probably done 10 or 15 or 20 videos on UPB um, and, and podcasts and so on. So it's not that complicated a uh, system to come up with. But what happens is, that it conflicts with people's emotional preferences to avoid conflict with evil people. And so they have to, they, they feel a very strong yeah. desire to push but back against the theory and come up you? with all sorts of absurd things because they don't want to run into conflict with, with evil people. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, for me, in the way that I communicated that to you, I just think that because you're isolating down to the smallest criterion, which is the person's preference who's having the action done to them, and it's necessarily binary. Um, like if I said, if you said to me, why is murder wrong? I said, because, you know, and I, I gave that explanation to you, that at the moment that the second person is killed, they either do or don't want that. They can't both want, I mean, they'd be irrational or something, but they either do or don't want that. So murder can only exist if he doesn't want it because his body is his property. He's the one being killed. So they can't both call that good. I mean, if you if I said that to you, I mean, I'm sure I'll be surprised when bringing that that sort of argument to people. But what would you argue if you were like an emotionally 
challenged by that. You know, if I said that to you, what would you say? Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't really want to leave people with clever arguments against what we both agree on. So I just wanted to remind people, we, we've got a video called, called Does Mor Morality Apply to Animals? Moral Categories Explained. And um, we've also got a video called The Death of Reason, Why People Don't Listen to Reason and Evidence. But I really appreciate, you know, the call. And it's a good reminder uh, to, to focus on, uh, you know, the don't motor. I haven't used that one for a while, but I don't think. But mm. uh, it's a definitely good reminder to, to avoid that. Um, because, uh, oh, yeah, lack of sea pirates correlates with global warming. I heard somebody, somebody, somebody put that in, too. Which I'm, actually, that probably is a correlation. All right, got to move on to the next caller, but uh, thanks very much for your call. Uh, you're certainly welcome back any time. It was a, a real pleasure to chat. You too, pleasure. Thanks, Thank man. All right, thanks, Rob. And I know you have more questions, so we'll definitely get you on a future show so you can continue the conversation. But up next is Ben, and Ben wrote in and said, I've listened to Mr. Molyneux's series on R versus K reproductive strategies, and I'm a bit puzzled about one of the ways that he has repeatedly characterized K strategy, something along the lines of ancient China, unchanged for centuries. Yet K strategists are supposed to embrace competition and free markets, which are extremely unstable, not a judgment of value. How does one reconcile these two positions? And that's from Ben. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. I don't think anyone has any particular answers. I can sort of beat around some potential answers to that. Um, the, the question, of course, has, has been raised many times, which is why has sort of white Western Christian European civilization been so energetic, let's say, you know, and, and so um, assertive? Uh, into technology and, and military and, and empire and so on. And it's a sort of a big and important question. And I don't think anyone really knows the answer. Some, some of it, the answer obviously has to do with uh, particular choices that people make uh, about whether to bring forward arguments and, and pursue them energetically and so on. So there's some magic free will. There are some people who say that it may have to do with a disparity in, um, uh, in testosterone levels. Uh, in the general, you know, my sort of, again, amateur understanding of the way the biology works is that East Asian, East Asian uh, men have the lowest levels of testosterone, and then uh, whites have more, and then, at least according to uh, those researchers who are trying to figure out why certain cancers show up in the black populations uh, in, in America and around the world, blacks have the most testosterone. I've heard sort of from 10 to 20% more. And so it could be that... Asian Ks without much testosterone get kind of stuck in that what they do is they compete within an existing system rather than compete against an existing system. In other words, in uh, you know China and, and Japan achieved a staggering successes as civilizations thousands of years before um, modern European civilization achieved its successes. You know, they had systems of weights and measures thousands of years ago. They had a universal currency. They had entrance exams for bureaucrats. They had uh, sophisticated roads and sea travel and gunpowder and all just amazing stuff that happened. And I think what happened was that the K-selected Asians competed to be in charge of the existing system. So they would compete for um, courtier positions or being mandarins or, or being in charge of particular aspects of the existing a system. However, the West's innovation, Christian, European, Western civilizations' innovations, is not how can I best compete within the existing system 
but hey, how about a brand new system, right? Not how can I displace the aristocrat in charge of my feudal lands and gain his power, but how about we don't have feudal lands and we privatize stuff and we get capitalism? Uh, and and so one of the cha- like when you have true, really energetic case, and maybe that's to do with the testosterone levels that are sort of right balanced with intelligence levels and so on, then you pro- so if you are a if you're in a mercantilist system, right, where where you gain a huge amount of economic favor uh, or, or power by colluding with the king, right, getting a particular um, trade concessions or, or getting licenses to operate, like the East India Company having the license to operate and so on. So if you are, you know, medium testosterone K, then what you want is to gain the favor of the king and get those preferential things and so on. But that's not very competitive, right? In the same way that um, if you're like uh, East Asian K without a huge amount of testosterone, then you want to compete within the existing system to gain all of the advantages you can out of it. But if you have more testosterone or more energy or more creativity or more oomph, so to speak, then you want to rip down barriers to competition and let everyone compete on a more even playing field. In other words, if all you're interested in is winning and you don't have a lot of energy, then if the society has a tradition of bribing the, um, the umpire, the umpire, the umpire, then you're going to want to bribe the umpire so that you can win. But if you have more energy, then what you want to do is get rid of bribing the umpire and hopefully get rid of the umpire so that everyone can uh, compete and so what you saw happening in the Netherlands to some degree, but particularly in England, was a very strong focus on a truly free trade, like no tariffs, uh, uh, no favors, uh, and so on, just real, real free trade. And you can look at sort of the the abolition of the corn laws, which were highly restrictive mercantilist policies regarding the importation and distribution of corn in the 19th century in England. They fought like dogs to open that market up, and it was one of the foundations of the empire and to get that kind of efficiency going on in the corn trade. And uh, I've got a video sort of on deck to be coming out this week, I guess, um, uh, about colonialism and the empire and the degree to which uh, there were very few tariffs and taxes uh, going on in the British Empire and so on. And so with the uh, where there's an excess of K and a not very strong amount of testosterone or oomph or whatever you want to call it, then the Ks compete within the existing system. However, when you have a lot of Ks and a lot of testosterone and very high intelligence, then I think what happens is that you get competition between systems, not within systems. Uh, And the desystematization, so to speak, of the economy, which is the expansion of free trade, was the sort of singular characteristic of the Europeans, at least up until the 20th century. Does that, again, I'm not saying that's anything definitive and I can't prove it. It's just sort of where my mind goes, if that helps. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's a difficult empirical question, I guess. Um, So I guess what I wonder is um, to what degree, um, I mean, to the extent that we can even tell this, uh, would you really characterize, um, say, Asian civilization from hundreds of years ago is being super K-dominant. 
Um, I mean, that's sort of, I don't know, I guess sort of colloquially how we think about this, but um, what real evidence is there of that? Well, there's significant biological evidence, okay. if you like. Sure. Uh, that, that's not so much in the realm of, uh, of theory. Okay. Right, so, I mean, if that's of interest to you, I'm certainly happy to run through uh, some of the, uh, the empirical evidence. Sure. Okay, so, um, so the general idea, uh, I just sort of compare Asians with um, Caucasians. So the, the general idea is that the organism that is slower to develop ends up more complex, right? Mm-hmm. And the argument for that uh, has to do with some biological factors involving twinning, right? So twinning uh, is more common, giving birth to twins is more common among Caucasians than it is among Asians. And it's like four times more common among Caucasians than among Asians. And uh, twinning is, I would assume, more R-selected, right? Because, again, higher birth rate and so on, right? So lower birth rates tend to be more K-selected. And so between Asians and Caucasians, Asians uh, twin far less frequently. That's sort of one evidence. Uh, The second is uh, sexual frequency among Asians is lower than it is among Caucasians. And I can't remember the exact ratios. It's been a while since I've done those video searches, but... (laughs) but, uh, uh, there is uh, that aspect of it as well. Uh, also, uh, Asian babies tend to stay in the womb longer than Caucasian babies. Also, Asian babies tend to learn to crawl later than Caucasian babies. Asian babies also learn how to walk later than Caucasian uh, babies. And uh, this is all correlated with the fact that um, uh, Asians have uh, very wide uh, hips. I know it doesn't look that way, but (laughs) if you sort of look at the internal structure, Asians have uh, wider hips than uh, Caucasians, and that's because, in general, the Asian brain is physically uh, bigger than the Caucasian brain. And so, because the Asian brain is bigger, this is one of the reasons why they have to stay in the womb longer, I would assume. The Asian brain is bigger than the Caucasian brain. Mike, if you can look up these uh, numbers, I'd appreciate it. I don't have them on. The, it's, it's slightly bigger. Not much, but it's slightly bigger. And, and the, the, the Asian head is slightly bigger at birth than the Caucasian head. And this is why the Asian women have wider hips, uh, because they have to pass a bigger brain through uh, their, their hips uh, and so on. And so, lower testosterone... Um, less uh, sexual, l- less frequency of sexual intercourse, uh, slower development, uh, slower maturation, resulting in a more complex organism, does seem to be how you would look at uh, Asians as being more K-selected. Uh, and the, the end result of this being, of course, that Asians have a higher IQ than Caucasians. I- again, you can't judge individuals, the usual caveats and so on, but depending on you know, who you read and, and which studies you look at, uh, it's not a huge difference. Uh, it's not as big as, say, the difference between Caucasians and Ashkenazi Jews. Um, Caucasians, of course, having about 100 IQ, Ashkenazi Jews having about 112 to 114 IQ, a whole standard deviation almost above Caucasians, and in language much higher. And so you end up with Asians having a, um, uh, a, a tested, in general, IQ. And this is true of... East Asians around the world, and it's true of 
Asian babies who are born uh, and and are adopted by Caucasian French couples, and it's true whether or not uh, there's stimulation around where the Asian babies are. Uh, there were a number of Asian babies, um, I think, in Korea, I can't remember, north or south, a bunch of Asian babies who were ba- rescued and, and suffered severe malnutrition for the first couple of months of their life, and they then and were incredibly deprived of, of stimuli and so on for the first couple of months so four to six months of their lives, st- starved and, and no stimulation, and they grew up to have above-average IQs, so it's not just, you know, environment. I mean, obviously, environment plays a part to some degree, but it's true for East Asians uh, around the world that uh, they end up with an IQ between 104 and 105 on average relative to Caucasian IQs uh, of 100. And this is reflected, of course, in the um, in the incomes, right, that East Asians uh, throughout the world, wherever they are, generally have, wh- where there are free markets and not massive amounts of uh, bigotry, uh, they uh, generally end up with a higher per, ca- per capita income than Caucasians, even in supposedly Caucasian countries and so on. So th- those would sort of be my arguments from a biological standpoint as to um, how you might make a case for uh, Asians being... Uh, East Asians in particular being more case-selected. Okay. Yeah, that seems compelling. Hmm. Well, I suppose that answers my question, I guess, to the best of uh, the ability we have. Um. Yeah, and, and please understand, I, it's just by, uh, you know, you know, you need to look, talk, look up the experts for all of this. It's just sort oh, of my, sure. uh, my in, in passing understanding uh, of, uh, of how this goes. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, Mike, did you want to dump this stuff in the show? Yeah, sure. And I encourage everyone to do their own research and look into this yourself. But um, I'm just going to read this here. It says, Dozens of studies have found race differences in brain size, whether measured by MRI, endocranial volume, brain weight at autopsy, or external head size, with or without correction for body size. Averaging all the data, the following figures have emerged. Brain size for East Asians? 1,364 cubic centimeters, compared to whites, 1,347 cubic centimeters. The overall mean for East Asians was 17 cubic centimeters more than it was for whites when it comes to brain size. And of course, as you can imagine, in 17 cubic centimeters, there are billions of neural connections and so on. So this is one um, one possibility of, of understanding that there's a higher IQ and, and all of that and lower, you know, lower tendencies for a twinning and, and again, all of these sorts of uh, case-selected physical characteristics. Sure. All very interesting stuff that I've never, <laughs> until recently, <laughs> have never been exposed to. Yeah, I've never heard... Uh, I mean, I, I think I'd heard a few of those facts, but not the majority, so that's interesting. And do you, do you know why you've never heard these facts? <laughs> Which I, are very well known I, I in, the, in the uh, biology... <laughs> I'm sorry? I could guess, certainly, yeah. Uh, seems rather politically incorrect. But... Oh, those inconvenient facts. Right, yeah. <laughs> those inconvenient facts, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, not be- it's basically because of communism, you know, and I sort of hate to sound like, uh, you know, the Red Scare, the Reds are coming up my legs or whatever, but um, communism wished to discredit capitalism, and therefore it downplayed any difference between the races, and therefore the average value that the free market increasingly plays upon intelligence 
if there are, are intelligence difference between Caucasians and Asians or other races, then uh, that will show up in different incomes uh, in a free market, right? Because basically the free market is a giant IQ test. I mean, <laughs> whether we like it or not. And it's becoming, this is, you know, we just had Charles Murray on the show, which was, of course, a great pleasure. And uh, he's written a book called uh, Coming Apart, The State of White America, I think from 1960 to 2010 or something like that. And um, he points out that the, as, as the market progresses and as technology gets more sophisticated and as financial instruments get more sophisticated, the premium that is paid for intelligence becomes more and more and greater and greater. And he was taken out of a sort of Midwestern, small bit Midwestern town, and he ended up, I think, graduating from Harvard and so on. And he sort of pointed out that the, um, the capacity of elite schools to scour the country and find those bright sparks uh, among everyone else and scoop them up and hoover them off to, I guess, the Hoover Institute <laughs> and other places where their intelligence gets... Or, or Wall Street, of course, to find uh, people who are really great at math and, and who can create these n-dimensional neural net financial thing jiggeries that apparently shit money on people's plates. Right. I mean, so so his argument is that, you know, like 75 years ago, somebody who was really good at math, but socially awkward, you know, might be an accountant in the back room somewhere that you you never brought out to talk to clients, you know, (laughs) just some, you know, like one one, like the guy in uh, office space, you know, uh, (laughs) who who just muttering to himself and sets fire to everything, hopefully without the last part occurring. (laughs) But um this uh, and he's saying so. You know, social awkwardness plus high intelligence, which often go hand in hand, particularly if you're the smartest kid in a, a bunch of uh, not so smart people, to put it as nicely as possible. But now, if you're socially awkward but really smart, I mean, the the opportunities for wealth accumulation are enormous, just enormous, uh, in the computer field, in the financial field, in the mathematics field, in the statistics field, in the scientific field. I mean. You can go gangbusters because there's a huge amount of non-client-facing, massive money-making jobs that require you know, significant amounts of uh, intelligence and so on. And uh, so his, uh, his argument is uh, to, to sort of point out that uh, there's more of a concentration of intelligence. There are more rewards of intelligence. There's more of elite institutions scouring the country to find those with high intelligence, which is one of the reasons for an increasing wage gap. Social mobility has remained pretty much the same now as it was sort of 50 or 75 years ago in that the numbers of poor people who become rich and the number of rich people who become poor, that social churn between the classes has remained relatively constant. But um, one of the reasons why there would be a bigger income disparity is because of intelligence. And um, if intelligence is for a variety of evolutionary reasons, not widely uh, not evenly distributed among the races, uh, and if this knowledge is kept from the public that there may be intelligence differences between the races or between ethnicities, if this knowledge is kept from the public, then the public will ascribe all unequal outcomes to racism, and then what you what you get is a giant government program called Combating Reality, where any dissent is screened down, which is a perfect government program. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna combat reality. I have a government program to make everyone the same height. It's like you know that can't ever happen, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter. And and you're racist. You're heightest for saying so, right? I mean, so it's just part of destabilizing the market by, and it is one of the great tragedies, of course, of the modern world that uh, this information is rigorously denied and kept from the public because it means that governments are embarking on all kinds of fantasy missions. 
that have unbelievably destructive social and economic consequences. Literally, like they are taking a giant axe to the base of civilization, uh, and it's you know it's a genius part on, on the communists to, to to sort of keep this information away from people. Um, it's uh, fantastic because you know we all want everyone to do well, and we would all like it if most people were. You know, if, if all different groups were, were equal, that would be fantastic. But it's it's not really up to us, right? I mean, that's sort of up to Mother Nature and, and evolution and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so there's a reason why this, you know, when you see disparities among particular ethnic groups, uh, the answer is always, well, racism or, or legacy of X, Y, or Z or, you know, whatever it is. And maybe there's some cultural stuff thrown in and so on. And, and these, you know, all, all have effects and, and should be, Noted, but um, you know, the first place to go to is to uh, is to IQ, and and you know, we just again not to harp back on Charles Murray, but this is sort of one of his basic arguments in the Bell Curve, which I read. Oh gosh, twenty twenty years ago now, something like that. But um, the uh, the basic argument is um, you say, ah, oh, well, you see, Asians make more money than whites, right? That's the and that, that's a fact, right? I mean, it's, and it's not a small amount more money, too. Asians make more money than whites. And this is, uh, this is not true, uh, fundamentally. It's not, it's not true that Asians make more money than whites. What is true is that people who are more intelligent make more money than people who are less intelligent, right? That, that's the accurate way of putting it. Not Asians make more money than whites, but more intelligent people make money make more money than less intelligent people. And we can understand that. You know, I mean, people who are physically strong used to do battle, used to do better in battle. And the guys with, you know, uh, legs the size of garbage cans and arms the size of my legs, right, they did really well in combat. And um, the guys who had really long legs and narrow hips did really well at chasing down prey and, and uh, or hunting. And so... Throughout particular periods in human history, there have been specific physical advantages. And, you know, through a lot of places around the world, right now it happens to be intelligence. Hopefully it'll stay that way. You never know. And what Charles Murray has pointed out with Richard Herrnstein, and of course this is lots of people who've ground through the same data, which has been available for almost 100 years. No, over 100 years now. Um, what they've said is that it's not that Asians make more money than whites, or the whites make more money than Hispanics, what, what the reality, what the facts are, is that people with an IQ of 105 make more money than people with an IQ of 100. That's, and, and everyone who's got an IQ of 105 generally does better. And so we're not talking about races, we're talking about intelligence. Intelligence, if you normalize income, like pick, an, pick a, a particular ethnic group, if you normalize by average IQ, everybody makes the same, right? So uh, a, a Hispanic with an IQ of 90 makes about as much money as an Asian with an IQ of 90, makes about as much money as a white person with an IQ of 90, makes about as much money as a black person with an IQ of 90. And so it is not race that is being judged by the free market. It is intelligence that is being judged and found valuable by the free market. And of course, uh, if we understand that, like I said this, I don't know, probably eight or nine months ago in the show, I said it's entirely possible that the world is fairer than we think. 
in terms of outcome. And uh, this is uh, part of sort of what I was uh, talking about, that it's um, you know, height is rewarded in basketball. And, uh, you know, those people who tend to be taller tend to do really well in basketball. Basketball is not measuring race. Basketball is measuring height and fast-twitch muscles and blah de blah de blah So anyway. Yeah, medium income by race uh, for Asians in 2012 was uh, 68,636 in 2012 versus uh, 57,000 for whites, 39 and change for Hispanics, and 33, 321 for blacks, right? So what is being measured? Everybody thinks that race is being measured, but the data does not support that at all. So does that, does that help at all? Yeah, um, I basically believed all that already, so yeah. Um, sorry to bore you, but, sorry to bore you, but of course you oh, don't. Not at all. I mean, it's something that bears repeating stuff. for sure. <laughs> oh, it really does. You know, it really does. And and again, this is you know the usual caveats need to be put in place so the information is not misused. Um, oh, a, sure. A, a black yeah. or Hispanic or Asian or European with an IQ of 130 has an IQ of 130. <laughs> you can't possibly prejudge any individual before you meet them. But when you take the zoom lens back far enough there will be patterns, again, that don't relate to any specific individual, right? You, you, may have let, you may have met 10 short Chinese guys. That doesn't mean the next Chinese guy you meet is going to be short. He could be six foot six, right? Uh, but there still, nonetheless, will be tendencies if you take the lens wide enough. So I hope that helps, at least with regards to the Asian thing. And, and nobody, really, uh, nobody really knows for sure. But uh, I, I suspect that um, testosterone... Combined, I mean, I'm a big fan of sort of parenting practices, although, of course, there are significant chunks of data that challenge some of the thesis around parenting, which we're sort of working our way through. But um, uh, I think that uh, some innate characteristics like uh, adrenaline levels uh, combined with certain parenting practices are probably the answer. But, you know, again, we'll, you know, we'll know, you know, probably within the next 10 to 15 years, we'll know for sure uh, all of this stuff in, uh, in much more detail to the point where it's going to become... Um, irrefutable, I, I think, um, but that doesn't mean that people will, won't still ignore it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much as well. Great, great, great question. Have a nice evening. All right. Thank you, Ben. All right. Well, up next is Mark, and Mark wrote in and said, I have some criticism of your coverage of the police violence stories, especially with regard to the poor black community. Your stories were well-researched and quite accurate, but as a black person, I thought your focus seemed biased. Both the police-slash-government and the poor black community are in the matrix, but your focus tended to hold toward, tended towards holding blacks to a higher standard while speculating and reasoning out rational justifications for the police. I think your coverage ought to be more consistent toward each group if you want to draw blacks into the discussion. That's from Mark. All right, Mark. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate uh, the question. Thank you for having me on. All right. So can you go a bit into more detail about uh, the bias that you perceive in what uh, what I'm doing? Sure. Uh, of course, this is uh, my perception, but I'm just going to to say how, how I saw it. Um, it started, I think, with the Michael Brown coverage. I th- like I said before, I thought a lot of what you said was accurate. Uh, and well-researched, but the focus, where did you put the spotlight? I, I noticed there was, you, you held um, the black community to a very high standard, 
which is good. But I wish it wasn't consistent to the police as well. Uh, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Sorry. 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 Just one sec. So are you saying that I held the black community to a high standard relative to the police or relative to other ethnic communities? Relative to to the police, I feel. Okay, I just want to be clear for those, yes. right? Because I I, I yeah. talked about you know better, better parenting and so on. Yeah, sure. And I've talked about that to to all communities, and that's been a sort of universal nag of mine, so to speak. But uh, so sorry, go ahead. But relative to the police, okay. Yeah, I love your your high standards of parenting. That's great, fantastic. Um, I support it one hundred percent. Um, but the the black community is where it is, and and. Uh, you know, we have to address them at that whatever level they're at. Um, and um, I I noticed uh, things like uh, when you criticize the the um, uh, protests, people getting upset about the way the uh, investigation and the prosecution was handled. Yeah. Okay. Um, there, there's, there was a lot of emotions, and people were not analyzing things logically, super logically, and I think maybe understandably, perhaps. But yeah, you brought up some good. Well, hang on, hang on, people, hang on, hang on. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, so maybe understandably, tell tell me what you mean by that, if you don't mind. Well, uh, I, it, this is my in my opinion uh, that um, because the government system is is the way it is and so corrupt, it is unfair to poor people, and uh, you know, poor people kind of suffer un uh, I, I think unduly because of um, the way that the whole government system, including the police, uh, uh, treat poor communities and kind of exploit and use and abuse Oh, no, them. no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. No, we, we, go ahead. Sorry, we, sorry. We go, hang on. So we're going from Michael Brown as an individual to poor communities as a whole? Because my question would be, do you think that there's any ethnicity that assaults a policeman, apparently tries to get his weapon, and then charges at him, uh, and, and so on? Do you think there's any ethnicity that would not meet a violent response in that situation? Um... Okay, I'm. In other words, if if I did that, if I did, do you think there'd be some magic shield of white privilege that would prevent the policeman from shooting me if I signaled like I tried to get his his weapon from him and and hit him and then charged at him and I'm three hundred pounds and he's dazed and he's bleeding or whatever is going on, right? Do you think that he would not have um, a shot at me uh, if I had done those 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 actions with regards to a policeman? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Yes. I, really? I, no. I, I mean, I mean, I'm, no. What I mean is, I don't think there's any mag. You said magic shield that would protect you if you had done the same things, and I said no. I don't think there would be some. Magic okay. Shield. So, yeah, so, sorry. so that's not to do with Michael Brown being black. That's to do with Michael Brown attacking a policeman. Okay. So. Yes, yes. Uh, getting shot, you mean, yeah? Yeah, so he wasn't shot for being black, right? He was shot because he attacked a policeman. Yes. At, at least, and again, we, we don't you know, the, the, everything continues, and, and but, you know, he was, there were no charges laid, and, and the guys, you know, 
free to enjoy the rest of his life, I guess, uh, Wilson and so on, right? But um, so, so as far as that goes, there were um, a lot of falsehoods put out about that, right? I mean, so initially, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch published this article. Michael Brown remembered as a gentle giant, right? He was dyed black, unarmed, and from multiple gunshots, uh, Daily Mail. Oh, he was a gentle giant, timid and quiet, six foot four tall, 300 pounds, and, and so on. The, play, the paper ran quotes from Michael Brown's family and aunt who said, you know, he wasn't a violent person. He was peaceful. He was a gentle giant. He looked like he could really do something, but he wouldn't. You know, getting the victim's family, I mean, w- did they interview... You know, Officer Wilson's mother, who, who you know, who would, right, it's just sort of a very one-sided thing. Uh, it was widely reported in the media that Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown in the back, execution style, with his hands in the air, and all this, you know, and the, this is all false, and there was no substantial corrections or, or no hand-wringing on the part of the media, like, how could we have gotten this uh, so wrong? You know, like, like <laughs> Brian Williams uh, ex- expands on some of his stories about being in Iraq and a couple of Katrina, a couple of other things, and you know the shit hits the fan, and the guy basically gets canned, and and so on. And um, there's lots, you know, the, the Rolling Stone publishes this article about University of Virginia rape fests, uh, which turn out to have some significant problems. And there's you know all of this hand wringing and so on. There was even some hand wringing about the credulity of the media and the lead up to the Iraq War and so on. But there wasn't that same sort of hand wringing about like how could we have inflamed racial tensions to this degree uh, and so on right um they didn't really do any research right i mean so uh you know the dorian johnson you know, dorian johnson you know outstanding arrest warrant for theft um lewis head brown's stepfather five years in prison two felony narcotics convictions brown's mother involved in an assault or robbery of another family member for selling brown merchandise and i mean there was just a lot of lies a lot of falsehood that that was horrible uh, and, uh, you know, very destructive to uh, race relations. Because, I mean, I, I think good people, and, I, you know, I'm sure we're on the same side of this, uh, good people uh, don't like it and notice when lies are, are spread that uh, cause a lot of damage in a culture and in a society. And there's no circling back to figure out how things went so wrong and what's wrong with our culture and the media that this kind of stuff would happen. Anyway, so I don't mean to give you a big lecture because, you know, <laughs> tell you what it's like to be black or anything, but uh, that's not, you know, I, I, you know, if we, if we want to talk about poor people, we can do that, but that's not, Michael Brown was not shot because he was poor. Uh, you know, he was shot because he decided to attack a cop. Okay, so you've you've kind of branched into another area, which is, the media, right? Like what you're saying is, okay, the media told lies. The media wasn't uh, balanced. The media um, didn't really look at the story and and gave the wrong, wrong information, right? So then, yes, I agree with you. I do agree with you here. And you can you could say, well, now you can say, okay, the black community in Ferguson, when you look at the when they look at the media coverage, of course. It's sort of echoing, echoing what they already suspected about the police, you know, what they already thought was true about the police from their own experience, from talking to other people about, you know, interactions with the police. So they kind of, it's all very believable that that, that stuff, what the media said was true, right? Because of, of the, you know, what they thought of the police. So are we, are we saying now, um, 
you know, your criticism is mostly directed at the media or like I was trying to talk about your criticism of the black community and I, I was trying to say something about under, oh, well, no, I uh, have how, I have how, criticisms of the black community, too. If you, sure, if you want to talk about sure, those, too, that's sure, fine. With sure, me. but I'm, what I'm saying is you've, you've kind of, you, you, at first you asked me about the black community, and, and now you just, you talked about how all the, you, you went on a rant about the media telling lies. So I'm not sure which one I should address here. Do you know what I mean? Uh, should I address Okay, your, I uh, mean... Let's let's talk about the black community. I've okay. done lots of stuff on the media, so okay. and I certainly have some thoughts about the black community. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, about the black community. Um, and I'm I'm happy if you want to lead off, of course. Okay. So, um, I so if if looking at it from the perspective of the black community, yeah, I can. If I were in, uh, if I had been in Ferguson, and I wasn't, but even from afar. The things that I heard at first from the media seems believable, right? Later turned out to be false, right? And I'm glad you 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 pointed those things out. Thank you. Um, really appreciate that. But it seems believable, and then it wasn't controverted in the media. I mean, I don't think a lot of the black community was listening to your show. Sorry to say, in Ferguson. So I'm I'm sure that wasn't like kind of common knowledge, do you know what I mean? So they must have probably thought, you know, here's the media backing us up, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they protested, right? They, they, they got upset. Um, and that's what I mean. Well, okay, okay, hang on, hang on, though. I mean, this stuff was all over the internet, though, right? I mean, I didn't go down, I didn't go do my own direct research, right? I mean, I just got stuff off the internet, and uh, so it wasn't like this information was impossible. Obama phones give you internet access, so you just got to type it in and, and look, right? Again, or or their own computers or their own cell phones or whatever, right? But if we're talking about a sort of very poor neighborhood, I mean, they're getting free phones from the government with internet access, so they can look this stuff up, right? I don't know. Uh, I mean, you're, are you saying that... that your expectation is that the black community is using internet, the internet, the same way that you and Michael and Storian are using it, you know, at that level of, with that level of, you know, critical eye and looking for, for um, countervailing arguments to what they already think. Is that, is well, that I, I do know that, hang on, I mean, because, and this is not to say that these two situations are identical, but, of course, one of the very just criticisms that blacks have is with regards to lynching, which is, in other words, do not presume guilt, but rather reserve judgment until all the facts are in. The rush to judgment, the, the assumption of, of, of guilt with incomplete information. And, of course, this was after Trayvon Martin and the black community already had this giant example of intense media manipulation to provoke hostility between the races. So this wasn't like, oh, well, this is the first time this has happened, so how could we possibly be expected to know, right? Off Trayvon Martin, there was a huge amount of misinformation that was put forward by the media. I won't go into all the details because I've got this presentation, right? I mean, uh, on, on the web that did like over a million views, uh, which goes into this in more detail. You can just go to freedomainradio.com on uh, YouTube, youtube.freedomainradio.com, just do a search for Zimmerman or, or Martin. 
And so this was um, already out there that, that there had been this rush to judgment with regards to Trayvon Martin, which turned out to be incorrect. And um, so the black community and the white community and every ethnic community you can imagine had already had this big giant experience, not a year and a half or two years before, of a massive amount of misinformation, a rush to judgment, an assumption of guilt, which turned out to be false. And since blacks, of course, rightfully decry lynching, uh, which is the presumption of, of guilt and the rush to judgment, then shouldn't those virtues be modeled by a community that disliked that violation of those virtues so much in the past, and rightly so? Okay. Um, so, here we're talking about... Um, what I feel are... What in my question saying that people who are in the matrix is you know I fe- I felt you know even at that time that I was not in the matrix, and I I you know I've been watching your show for a while at least a year and when the Michael Brown came case came up and and I I, th- I thought I I was more skeptical and critical but no I would I had the, I felt I had the same reaction I believed what I heard. Um, at first, right, the things that I heard reported, because it seemed believable to me. Do you know what I mean? It seemed like, oh, yeah, yeah, but that's the whole that, point. I mean, the, the whites who lynched blacks, the black crimes, quote, seemed believable to the whites, but that was horrible, right? Sure. Uh, but, uh, but okay, just because the black, for you know, I'm a part of the black community, even though it was believable, I didn't go out and kill him. And if I saw Mike Brown, I wouldn't have hurt him. Right? Do you know what I mean? I might, I, I would have protested it had I been in Ferguson, but I wouldn't have hurt anybody. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, well, I mean, okay, but uh, I mean, in the uh, Eric Garner case, I think a family member tweeted out to over 5,000 followers the home addresses of uh, people that she claimed helped kill my father. I mean, the New York Times was publishing uh, people's home addresses. I think they published the home address of uh, Wilson's parents or something like that. I mean, there was uh, death threats uh, floating all over the internet. I mean, there was some you know, pretty scary stuff going on. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I, okay. I, I mean, isn't isn't I it? Sorry like, to interrupt, but isn't isn't it the job? Like, I mean, you're obviously a very uh, a smart and and well-read and eloquent uh, person. Um, isn't it the job to stand in front of the mob to to say? Whoa, whoa! You know, let's wait till the facts are in. Let's not, right? Isn't that isn't that the gig? I mean, if you're if you've got better knowledge and you've got better information and you've got more understanding, I think the job is to to stand in front of the mob, right? Listen, and look, I I mean, I get that you know, for for as a black guy, I can imagine that standing in front of that mob would have been a little bit alarming, right? Uh, you know, I've pa- I've paid my price for standing in front of the libertarian cop-hating mob by saying, hey, I don't agree with the police. I'm, a, I'm an anarchist, but for God's sakes, let's, let's not reject facts. Uh, let's not reject the, the requirement for the burden of proof. Let's not uh, reject the assumption of innocent until proven guilty, which would be part of any rational system of justice. I, I, think, uh, I think you're right. Um, and it takes, like, you know, a certain moral toughness and just the a fiber and, 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 you know, real confidence in yourself to hold to that standard. And I, re- I realized I wasn't there a year ago, you know, I, 
for various reasons. You know, I, I, you know, I wasn't like that. Uh, you know, just my own level of self knowledge. I was kind of looking for reasons to feel like you know, like sinned against. You know what I mean? Like I that, and this is from a person who thinks, oh, I, I who thought I wasn't in the matrix, who thought I understood what was really going on. So for me, like thinking about myself. And then imagining somebody with less self-knowledge than me, how they would react to this information. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but, sorry. Know. And I, pre- I appreciate your honesty in all of this, not that you've not been honest today. But um, what, what information in particular do you think people would react to very strongly or, or negatively against? Uh, you mean what information from you? Yeah, you said, from- uh, you, you said like you're sort of out of the matrix and trying yeah. to imagine how... Other people, I guess, other blacks would have reacted to this information. What information in particular? Oh, I, I was talking about the, um, just, the, just the reports in the media and, you know, talking to other blacks or other people, your neighbors, about what was going on and hearing wh- what people are reporting is going on and, and then formulating an opinion about, okay, what to do about it based on just uh, get all the information that you're hearing around you. How would how would I I would try to imagine how would I react if I had even less self knowledge than than I I did at the time? That's what I mean meant by how would how people would react to the information negative information, just the popular information that was out there. But you know? I think I mean I I think that it's important to just get all the facts out. Of course. Um, and and the information that would give some. I don't know, you could say scant comfort to the black community. Um, this is, um, we'll put this, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Um, okay, I'm sorry, it's from like Whitey Town Central, but you know, um, I just wanted to sort of point this out. Okay, so federal statistics report 43 million blacks or African Americans in the U.S., 630,000 police officers, or about 68 blacks per officer. 68? And, um, okay. Yeah, 68 okay, blacks okay. for every um for every police okay, officer. Um, police are six times as likely to be killed by black civilians than black civilians are to be killed by police. Right? So in, in an encounter between a black officer and a civilian, the black, uh, sorry, between a, an officer of any race and a, a black civilian, it's six times more likely that the policeman is going to get killed than the policeman is going to kill the black. A parallel calculation suggests a yearly average of 530 killings of non-blacks by police officers and 27 killings of police officers by non-blacks, or a ratio of uh, 20 to 1. There are about 430 non-blacks per police officer. Police are 20 times as likely to be killed by non-black civilians than non-black civilians are to be killed by police. Uh, And we'll put the links to this. Um, Blacks are 14% of the U.S. population. They account for 47% of killings of police. Now, of course, when we say blacks are 14% of the U.S. population, we'd say, okay, roughly half of those would be black males, and uh, that, would be, um, uh, that would be, of course, 7%. And now, you know, the elderly black males are you know, not taking on 10 cops or anything like that, so we're, you know, 18 to 30 kind of thing. We're talking, you know, maybe two percentage points of the, um, uh, of the population. Mm-hmm. Yes. And 
when we put all that stuff uh, together, we're getting that uh, two or maybe three percent of the young black male population is killing almost half the police who are killed. Blacks are 5.6 times as likely as non-blacks to kill a police officer. And this is important information to have that because, you know, I mean, I'm not a cop, of course, right? But the cops all know this. Whether they're white cops or black cops or Hispanic cops or Asian cops or whatever, that a tiny percentage of the population is killing almost half the cops who were killed. Mm-hmm. And this information, if it were more widely disseminated, would certainly never excuse the unlawful killing of a civilian by a police officer. Of course, I mean, this is, but, but in terms of understanding what the police officers of all races are facing, the idea that, uh, um, that, that, it's just simply racism that is causing all of this. Well, uh, I, I don't think that case could strongly be made. Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought up those statistics. And you say that you, you, you I think, rightly point out that it doesn't uh, excuse the killing um, of uh, an um, unlawful killing of a, a, of a, a, a civilian. But the, the lawful, like... The lawful standard is that the police have to just fear for their lives. So just by quoting that, those statistics alone, that's enough. That can be enough for the police to fear for his life from, from any black male that fits that description. You can say, well, I feared for my life because, look, you know, this tiny percent of blacks, this demographic, caused a huge proportion of cop deaths. So even though he didn't have a gun, I'm not saying that's what's happening. Not, not, not talking about the Michael Brown case here, but just say that, you know, if just me on the street, if I, you know, if I heard the police tell me to stop and I, I, I turn around and, and maybe they don't have their gun drawn, but just, I think, oh, you know what? I, I want to record this by the, this interaction with the police. I go for my cell phone and he kills me, he shoots me, the legal standard would say, well, you fared for your life. You know, it's legitimate because, look, he's, he fits the demographic. There's a lot of arguments that can be made and say, hey, you, any, any sudden movement by that black male could cause a police officer to fare for his life. And that, and that totally could be true. That could actually be fear in his mind. And that, therefore... He's legit. He has lawfully killed someone. Well, no, I don't think you, you, you can't just say I was scared. And like, that doesn't work in the police. It doesn't work under the law. You, your policeman can't just say I was scared because he was black. So I shot him. I mean, that guy is going to go to jail for sure. Right. There has to be some element. of. Are, are you of, sure? Of, are you sure? I'm absolutely positive, and and you can look up the. There's no way. I mean, look, if if the if the black man is refusing to comply and pulls something out of his pocket, then he might get shot. If he's like, if if they say keep your hands where you can we can see them, and he's not complying, and he's combative, and he's screaming at them, and then he reaches into his pocket. If he pulls out a cell phone, he might get shot because the cops don't want to wait to find out if it's a gun or not, and and that may be lawful, but you can't just say, well. Um, uh, I, I pulled this guy over for speeding. He was a black guy. He looked at me funny. I got nervous and shot him. Right? That that would never work. Uh, you you could never 
get away with that uh, in, in America. I mean, certainly legally, right? Who knows what weird stuff could go down throughout the process, but uh, it is not just fear that allows um, cops to, uh, to shoot people. I, I, I wish I could say that that's true. I wish I could say that. No, no, I man, if it was to, true, if I, it was true, we wouldn't need all this other stuff. We wouldn't need Trayvon Martin. We wouldn't need uh, all of this. Uh, like we wouldn't need uh, Michael Brown. We wouldn't need uh, uh, all of these other examples if there were all these examples of people getting shot for, without any probable cause and without any any of that stuff, right? The the fact that 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 all of these shootings are held up as as the the examples of racism when it turns out that the 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 cases kind of fall apart. It's not like they're bypassing much more obvious cases in order to present these ones. So, right. If you've got a slam dunk case of police racism, that'll go front and center. But if all these other ones go front and center and then fall apart, I'm not assuming they have way better cases that they're not using. Okay. I mean, the Justice Department's going to investigate. The media's going to dig in. I mean, there's there's a huge amount of pressure on 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 cops who shoot blacks to get charged. And and you know, you got protesters, you've got uh, all these people out there, and you got the media, bloodhounds, and so on. And uh, the idea that that they're bypassing all these really obvious cases of racism in order to present this nonsense, it just it makes no sense. Okay. Uh, how about what? What did you think about the Tamir Rice shooting? I don't actually know a single thing about the Tamir Rice. Okay. I think I saw it somewhere on the media, but I have not. Yeah. This she was an activist. Is that right? Uh, no, it was a young boy. I think he was around uh, like twelve or so. Uh, he was in a, pl- a park uh, playing with a, um, a plastic gun or a toy gun. Um, someone ca- called in saying, I'm not sure if it's a real gun or not. The police came supposedly to investigate, but the car came just barreling in right up to where the, uh, the young boy was playing in the playground. I mean, like feet away. And the... Uh, the the passenger side police officer came out and, and just from my perspective, immediately shot him. Uh, and you wait, know. did the, the I, again, I don't know anything about this, yeah. but didn't the boy have what appeared to be a gun? Yes. Right. So, uh, okay. In, in, in this case, one would, could, I would say that shouldn't the police have, uh, you use distance to to no no see uh, i don't know when did this happen okay when did this happen uh june 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 2015 right okay i don't know i i can't speak to this because i haven't looked it up is it possible that there was a a premature shooting i don't know again i i reserve judgment until all the facts come in but but uh, you you told me that it's not possible You, you said that no you're sure that this standard is is not good you know would never uh be used in in the way that i described you're you you're quite sure but now you're saying you were reserving judgment you, you maybe it's possible okay here we go i've just okay. found something here on usa today the swiftness of the shooting was noted by cleveland municipal court judge ronald adrian who found probable cause to charge the officers involved in the shooting okay okay Yes. So, isn't that exactly what I was saying earlier? That if, uh, if I, the, the officers do something I, premature, I'm sorry. They I, 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 maybe I, I got it wrong, but I, I believe that he was later exonerated and just that it never went to trial, even though it was a charge. I 
I honestly, again, you're you're uh, jumping with information I'm, that I can't yeah, possibly yeah, look okay. in the terms of it. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, but sorry, sorry. Um, I should have. Yeah, you I need to you need to tell me ahead of time if you want to, to talk about like you can't jump me with things I can't possibly. No, no, I mean as we, I I didn't think I was going to. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, no, no need to apologize. It's just that the, the judge found probable like, cause to charge well, them. I have no idea what yeah, happened uh, yeah. in the grand jury deliberations. I have no yeah. idea what happened uh, for the you prosecutors know. or anything like that. So and let me just point we'll this out to, too, we'll Mark. To you that. said um, what Steph said afterwards contrasts what he said earlier about uh, shooting someone just because they're black and that not happening. I didn't say just because they're black. I said it's because because they they felt scared. They had they fear because of, well, in this situation, there is, whether it's a toy gun or a real gun, there's another added element as well. It's not just that person's black and lots of cops get attacked by black people. Therefore, it's okay to shoot somebody. There's Uh more added elements than just what Steph was talking about originally. So let's yeah let's yeah, let's yeah. move on from that, but okay. I guess my question is, which I think is the question on a lot of people's minds, no matter what ethnicity. Yeah. My question is, why do you think that young black men are committing so many crimes? Uh, it's it's the trillion dollar question, literally, right? And yeah. I you know I've obviously got some answers around uh, uh-huh. uh, parenting and and yeah other yeah yeah I, stuff I, and that. but but I've, you know you've okay. obviously got more yeah. useful stuff to say about it than I do. Uh, what what are your thoughts? I, I think parenting probably has a large degree with it. I, I I kind of agree with your a lot of your your uh, hypotheses and theses about this. I mean I think uh, there's a lot of um, violence in the black community and uh in you know the way that parents raise their children and i was certainly hit when i was a child and uh yeah so i think that's a big major factor and i'm so i'm sorry to interrupt you but i just asked you to to give me your thoughts but um what was the degree or kind of frequency of hitting that you experienced because you know when black kids say i was spanked and white kids say or asian kids they're usually not quite talking about the same kind of thing are they Sure. Um, I would, I, of course, you know, it's always hard going back into the memories of childhood, but um, I don't know, like maybe when I was uh, under 10, something like might happen once every couple of months. So I, I, that's, that's my best guess, I, I think, maybe. Maybe less, maybe more, maybe less. I guess once every couple of months. Uh, but I, I felt ter- terror. I felt fear. I felt like if I did something wrong, the the fear of that that beating was was very powerful. Right. And when you say beating, what do you, what do you mean? What what was how was it achieved? Or what was done? Uh, sometimes with the belt. Uh, sometimes with the hand. But just like he really achieved like fear, right? Like he accomplished the the fear aspect. Like um, the physical pain, I don't really remember now. But it, the fear I felt, I really, really, I can, I can, I can picture that. Like, that. and a uh, fear of what was the fear of in particular? Uh, I mean, it wasn't. I assume just the physical pain, as you say, the physical pain was bad, but not. 
didn't stick with you as much, but fear but, of, know, and this was your own father, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just his face, his anger, his threatening voice, his just the way his eyes looked at me. All of those things were just, I felt so frightened. I just of, you know, I, I think of being hit, but it's just the whole experience was, I didn't want it. It was horrible. I didn't want it. Was it? Did you fear that he might lose control, or did you fear that uh, your bond with him would be broken, or he might reject you from here on in? Again, I'm not trying to lead you. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I get it. You, I, these are great feel. questions, but I I haven't analyzed it that far. I can't really say. I just, it's just terror. I just, I can't, just, I can't. I don't know of what. I can't say bond. I I, I can't think that was the issue. I never thought that was an issue. Uh, Lose control, maybe. I, 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 I've never thought that. Just, it's just primal. It was just primal of being attacked, being hurt. You know what I mean? Just like, I, you know, you don't want to be hurt. You don't want to be experienced. Like when fear of of heights. Like when you get go to the edge, there's this fear of falling. That's just terror. That kind of primal fear. There's just okay. But that's I don't that's more hurt. of a death fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you like I'm like everyone. We all learn yeah. how to ride a bike, and we take mm-hmm. a whole bunch of tumbles off of that, and get our raspberry yeah. knees and our skinned elbows, and yeah. sometimes a black eye or, mm-hmm. or bloody nose or whatever. So, but we get up on the bike, and you know, so so fear of of injury, fear of being hurt, and so on. Yes. That you know, that's being a kid, right? But this is something different, right? I don't know. I I think it was fear of injury and pain and and. I, that was part of it for sure. Um, but you must have done things that were physically risky as a kid, right? Where you, yeah. you know you got it, whatever, and that I assume that didn't just stop you completely, right? Right. Obviously not. Obviously not. So it's not just fear of pain. Uh, I'm sorry. I know yeah, these are really yeah, tough yeah. questions. I, I yeah, appreciate yeah. you mulling them over. I don't know the answer, but they're very tough to think of in the moment. We can move on if you want, but I'm just no, that I, level, I really got a visceral sense of just how scary that was for you, yeah. and uh, I just really wanted to understand that more. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I absolutely do. I, something I'm working on. Um, I don't know. What just, about your mom? Was she, I'm sorry to interrupt, but was your mom sort of floating around this environment? Was she there in the background while your dad would beat you? Yeah, in the background, yeah. Sometimes she she would say something like wait till your father gets home that would add to the the tension and fear yeah right um right right she kind of like removed herself from the situation like i, I didn't when i picture being hit by my father i don't really see my mother she she didn't she didn't stop him or she didn't she wasn't maybe even in the room really right um so it's yeah it was all about my father. Uh, I mean, I, I think my mother would sometimes try to hit, but it was it didn't hurt, so it was like not really effective. Or, right. but you know, for my father, that was scary. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to. I didn't want the pain to continue. I didn't want. wanted it to stop right I wanted it to stop I wanted to were the beatings lo- prolonged I shouldn't say like were they long were they like 
I mean, there were sometimes, I mean, I, in, in my mind, they felt long. Yeah. I mean, I guess at some points I, I tried, I learned to like overact to, to be so that it would stop sooner, you know, just to be like, Oh, so terrorized. And so like even more, pretend to be even more in more pain. So it would happen. The beating would stop sooner. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was, I don't, I can't give, put a number on it, but it was, you know, it would go on somewhere how I would try to escape or run away. Cause that would make it last longer. Right. Just, you know, trying to chase me or hold me down or threaten me. Like it's going to be worse or something. So there's some element of the, I don't know, chase, you could say that made it longer. Could have been minutes. So, and yeah. So if, if you tried to sort of, back down or get away or, or even overact to prevent it, there was a real subjugation. And again, I'm just trying to put what's in yeah, yeah. Like a subjugation, like like I, I now own you. Um, I, I, I didn't, I, I don't know if I felt that, but what I felt was I needed to show terror. I needed to show that I was scared and I was, sub, I was, I know that I was wrong and this, this terror shows me that I'm wrong. You know what I mean? That by, by showing how scared I am, I'm showing that I'm learning a lesson. Right. Imprinted, right? Like it's got to really imprint upon you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did this uh, tie into any religious uh, education that you went through? Yeah. My father was, my father was very, very Christian. He was very, very church going. Um, yeah. It was, Big time. He did sometimes. He did Sunday school service and things like that. He was always very religious. And did you get like a lot of the you know hellfire and 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 brimstone and all that? Uh, I, I wouldn't say a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but enough. I think. I mean, enough to say I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. Just that kind of thing. I did, I did um, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure religion had an aspect to it. Like I just, I went through a major depression. I, I just got out of it a few weeks ago. I was, I couldn't leave my room for for months, and uh, I kept watching atheism videos and police brutality videos. <laughs> And uh, building videos for some reason, like video games where people will build things. But I think that atheism had something to do with that childhood, like you know, trying to, un- to, I don't know, make sense of it and be right about uh, maybe like thinking like, you know, yeah, no, I'm right that, that religion is all fake and it's not, not good somehow and that makes me a good person for not believing it. That's why I was watching. I don't know exactly why. How did was, you? Uh, how did you first uh, head down the road to atheism? To atheism? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of like typical North American way, which is like you get you as you become a teenager, you sort of, you know, it, it does you you learn more things at school, and it's not really. It doesn't seem like such a realistic kind of thing, and people around you are not the same religion as you, and it's like, okay, 
doesn't seem like there's not there isn't really a strong reason to believe and you and my parents were you know allowing you more and more independence by that age so you sort of stop going to church and then you go to university and you're like okay don't go to church at all uh, and then you're just like okay i i don't really believe it like it's just it's not logical stuff right especially when you're at university and talking to other people about like you know very deep stuff and it's all like science based i i studied physics and astronomy so you know it's like, it just kind of yeah there's no logical evidence for it so it doesn't seem intelligent to talk about and and say you believe in it right and what has your experience been you know based upon you know the genius stuff that you're studying um what has your experience been with the black community or the, the people you grew up with, if you grew up in a black community, I don't know, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Not but, really. you know, given your educational goals and all that, you know, there is, from my understanding, you know, certain elements within the black community is like, oh, you're acting white or, you know, the education is considered to be um, a sellout or something like that. Did you ever experience anything like that uh, based upon your, your goals and achievements? Uh, no, not really. I, I, never felt like strongly connected to the quote unquote black community in my neighborhood. They seemed I mean, you know, it's multicultural of course, but the you know, people who were like quote unquote acting black, so to speak, they didn't seem like my kind of crowd, you know. Uh, they're like <laughs> okay, uh you know, they're good at sports and, you know, they're good at dancing and music and cool stuff. They're in, I was never in the cool crowd. So, right. you know, I was, you know, there were also like smart black kids and there was, all, you know, all different, like smart kids hung, hung out with smart kids and, you know, cool kids hung out with cool kids and we were yeah we no. were just talking about this in in the last call too you know just about how it's intelligence that matches us up not in particular race right yeah, yeah. Right. so I, I never thought I was okay part part of some kind of black community so to speak in in growing up um, I just hung out so that with so people. that's interesting and that makes it all the more interesting to me Mark about how. You know, when this brutality, I mean, I assume you've not experienced a lot of, you know, you haven't attacked too many cops in your day. Am I fair to, right. you know, you've, you've yeah. kept the number under a dozen. Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? Yeah, a, a few under a dozen, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe a dozen. <laughs> You're not under. wildly contributing to these statistics we're talking about. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, but it's interesting then that when you, uh, you know, read about these media reports about Mike Brown or, or these kinds of things that... That then you feel an affinity. You yeah. feel like you, you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Yes, I know exactly. Yeah. What you're so saying. tell me, help me understand that. Not that that's. I don't think that's bad or anything. I'm just uh, curious about where that comes about. I don't know. Um, I think I was go when when this stuff sort of blew up in the media, started to go. I was also going through. I was spiraling down towards my depression, and and I, I guess part of it was I was attracted to injustice somehow like uh, i felt like oh if i could be a part of a group that felt that was being sinned against somehow that would make me okay or at least at least i had that kind of thing and maybe you know i'm 
you know, I'm not satisfied with my life, but at least I can say that, oh, here I am. This is something that uh, I'm being wronged, and maybe that right. explain so my Right, so if behavior. I understand this rightly, I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it, was it the idea that that victimhood would save you from anxiety or depression? Yeah, yeah. Isn't victimhood could help. Maybe. Uh, of course, uh, this is all very unconscious, right? So, but now that yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about it, maybe that victimhood could could save me from think dealing with my issues. Like I didn't have to think about what what I was doing wrong and how I needed to change my life and what I needed to fix in my life. I could be part of that victimhood. I can be fight for justice and rightness without right, dealing that, with that, that my, inside myself. Sort of like my own personal problems pale. Yeah. With like in in the face of of this terrible injustices, my own personal problems should vanish. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you want to wind yourself into a larger cause, mm-hmm. and thereby overstep or or overleap your own personal problems. It's a way of yeah. of in a sense suppressing oh, your yeah. own emotions by linking yourself into a cause by which your emotions are petty and selfish. Does that, I, right, I'm right. Trying, does that yeah. make sense? Yes, it does. I, I would say it's a form of avoidance, right? Like, yeah. you know, you can wrap yourself up in this, this cause and say, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing something good, right? Even though at heart I'm avoiding what I need, really need to deal with. Right. Well, and again, I don't mean to pry. Don't talk about anything you're not comfortable with, but do yeah. you have, like in hindsight... A sense of the issues that gave you that anxiety or, or depression. Oh yeah, uh, still working through it. But um, at one, at some point, I I was I was afraid to to leave my apartment. I was afraid to meet anyone, even my neighbors, see anyone's face. I was just afraid of being of people criticizing me. And I was afraid that they would be right. Their criticism would be right. And yeah. I, would, I didn't want to face that. And so I, this is all And my, what were the criticisms, uh, sorry, what were the criticisms that you thought they, was it anything in particular or just mm-hmm. as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, uh, just things like, uh, well, during my spiraling depression, I, I, I stopped answering people's calls. I stopped answering emails. I stopped, you know, responding to people. So I wasn't responsible. I wasn't, you know, I've always been a procrastinator. I, you know, all, these things, I, I tend to avoid conflicts all the time. I, I don't deal with pe- things on time and well. So I, 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 I felt like, yeah, yeah, if you said those, if you noticed any of those things, I would have to say, yeah, you're right. Those, that's true. I didn't answer that email. That's true. I did procrastinate. That's true. I didn't handle something in a timely fashion. Yeah, all of that's true. So I didn't want to face that kind of criticism because I, yeah, it was true. And I didn't, uh, I knew I I was wrong, but I couldn't figure out, I, I just, the way I dealt with it during the depression cycle was to avoid more and more and just well, yeah, avoid everything. Would you, 
I'm just sort of going off my own gut feeling here. So, you know, obviously, Mark, tell me if I if I go astray as usual. But I, you know, for my own childhood, the things that were the hardest for me in some ways were the inflicted criticisms that I had to agree to, but which I deep down didn't agree with. You know, like, um, I don't know, like uh, uh, penmanship. You know, this is a stupid shit that you know went on in school. But you know, like, uh, you know, I'd be sitting there writing poems and stories and all the stuff that I did when I was a kid, and you know, they were, I think, very creative and and very good, and were recognized that way. But people would bitch at me about penmanship, and oh god, you know, it's like how petty and useless can can it be? You know, like it. Does it does it really matter how well and how tidily and how nicely Hamlet was written? And again, I'm not saying I was writing Hamlet or anything, but it's like people like the teachers would focus on penmanship or layout or or something like that, you know? Or, you know, rather than liking a drawing that I had done, they'd, you know, question whether the drawing was appropriate in some manner or you know, just stuff like that. And you know, these were all, you know, criticisms like, uh, you know, I mean, I've always been good at organizing things mentally. That's kind of the gig, right? Organizing my physical space, well, it's not quite <laughs> quite the same, you know, the, the sort of messy, uh, so, somebody who's organized in their mind but messy in their environment. I hit that stereotype, or at least I used to. I'm better now, but I used to hit that stereotype to a T. And, you know, like I'd be writing, you know, 50,000 lines of code and I'd have it all organized in my head. And then somebody would ask me for a piece of paper, and I couldn't find it. And and so and and I always felt that sort of given the the giants, you know, there's there's a scene in in the Facebook movie, what was it called, the Social Network or whatever it is, where Zuckerberg is basically saying, you know, what I'm thinking about is so far beyond this little room of lawyers that I can't even tell you, you know. And and when I so I and I just I don't want to take over the conversation, but. When people would criticize me for things that were, uh, you know, I, I mean, you'd sort of give up and say, okay, well, if penmanship is important to you, I guess I'll work on my penmanship. But, you know, you notice that I just wrote a haiku and I'm nine, right? <laughs> or whatever it was, right? Uh, and, and so I always felt sort of like uh, there were a lot of criticisms floating around me that I just, I didn't care about. And, I, you know, in many ways, I still don't care about. Uh, I'm just much more comfortable not caring about them. And I've got to a place in life where I don't need to care <laughs> about them, if that makes any sense. Um, was there any so the criticisms around procrastination and so on? You know, I mean, you couldn't have procrastinated that much if you're studying physics and, and well, I can't remember what else you were studying. But, you know, th- that's hard work and all that. Were these criticisms that you, you know, agreed with uh, fundamentally? Or were these criticisms that were just floating around that you kind of had to accede to? But you didn't necessarily agree with a couple of things that I, I, I agreed with them. And I, and looking back, I, I, I still agree with them now. Uh, I mean, people didn't actually criticize me though for, for like, this kind of thing. It didn't come up that much. Very rarely. I criticize, I imagined that they would criticize me if they knew the truth and I tried to hide it. And, uh, I wish I had your confidence. I people's criticism of me doesn't just flow like doesn't just like oh I wasn't just like uh, I was I was 
I it really bothered me to be criticized. It really, I didn't want to be disliked or something being said bad about me. It really hurt. And I, I really, I was afraid of it. And I, I realized that that was a kind of underlying fear with interacting with people that's been there at a low level my whole life. And right. Like they have a power over you to make your day good or bad. That's out of your control, right? Yeah, so I, that's right. why I had this kind of inner shy streak that I had. I had to work to overcome, and eventually, I, I became an English teacher, uh, ESL English teacher, and and so I mean, I did overcome it in certain aspects, but it still continued. Like just talking to strangers on the street or on the bus or subway, I always feel this. Uh, twinge of fear before I talk to them like what if something bad happens with this interaction and even like if the worst case scenario why would that terrorize me I was afraid of things like with people's reactions like any any negative reaction and um, yeah that stopped me from doing a lot of things and I realized that's the core and that's how I, I eventually climbed my way out of depression is by by constantly facing that fear, by by actively, whenever I felt that 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 pain in the pit of my chest, of I don't want to do something, I just push myself to do it and like to even do a little bit of facing that fear, and I did it constantly, day after day, every single time, and eventually I became just sort of it became a habit, and now I'm 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 actively looking for for things that challenge that that fear response and um i'm doing well now right right do you i mean it struck me you said the building videos and the police brutality videos yeah yes interesting why is that um, what do you think uh, the police brutality videos did for you the police brutality videos yeah I, I, as i said i i think I, I looked at it and I said, oh, the cops are wrong. The cops are wrong in this situation. They're, they're wrong and, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm not like them. And see, they're, they're, the bad, they're the bad guys. And I understand injustice. I understand what's right in this world. And, and uh, you know, I can, uh, I can you know, somehow stand up for this and, and say that's and call out something that's wrong in this world. I can, I can point to that and say, that's wrong. Even though I was not good myself, I wasn't doing things the way I wanted to do. And I, I, I was just running scared and being afraid to deal with my own problems. I could, I could the, deal with this one. The brutality videos, I'm just curious, were they, was there any type? Was it beatings or no, shootings? No, I mean, or? It actually, it wasn't just police brutality. It was, like, any kind of police injustice. I watched a lot of videos of, like, people doing, like, First Amendment tests, like, taking a video of the police station, and the cops come out and, like, oh, give me your ID. Like, any anything where people were exercising their rights and cops were infringing on their rights, anything like that, all of those videos I was watching... Like police brutality, sure. I mean, that's it, it, like kind of the gold standard of injustice, right? But 
I look for anything. And um, I assume that the it was usually policemen, right? Yes. Because, yeah. I mean, in general, and, and this is, of course, highly variable, so to my way of thinking, in general, police are often a stand-in for uh, a father in, in our minds, right? Yes. Because the police take over where our father's... Where our father's authority ends, the police take over. Yeah. And, you know, there's this old thing, like women, they say, oh, you know, like I was... I was raised and I was subjugated to my parents and then I went to school, I was subjugated to the teachers and then I was subjugated to the priests and then I got married, I was subjugated to my husband and I never got to, you know, make my own decisions and, and be an in independent and so on. And it's, you know, kind of interesting to me that you know, like the moment, uh, technically the moment you turn 18 or whatever the adult is, right, you then pass from the authority of your parents to the authority of the police. And I think that a lot of people's relationship with the police has a lot to do with their relationship with their fathers, you know? I mean, it's not a coincidence that I have theorized a lot about a society without police when I grew up without a father. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think you have a lot, there's a lot to that. I, you, you, you point a very, very good uh, point that I, I can see the connection now. Yeah, you know, even now, I'm afraid to interact with my father. I want to talk to him about the things that I've been doing and thinking recently, but I'm afraid to bring him up. I'm afraid. Just like I'm You're afraid to bring stuff up with your father? Yeah. I mean, what about the atheism? Yeah, I don't want... I'm afraid to bring it up with him. What do you think would happen if you did? What do I think would happen? Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I think he would probably just... Uh, be dismissive and might probably not try to get involved in the. He he might say a few counterpoints, but I think he would not really engage in a discussion about it. I think he would just try to um, end it as soon as possible. Maybe avoid it. Like that's maybe the same strategy that I used for a long time of avoidance. Probably learned it from him. Right. And how do you see the future of your relationship with your father? I mean, mm. I guess my concern or the concern that would pop that pops into my mind, Mark, is the degree to which you're going to have to hide who you are to to a large degree, right, mm. from your father um, for hardly, a long time to come. Yeah, yeah. I hardly ever see him. Last. <laughs> Ten years or so, maybe longer. Fifteen. I've, I've seen him only occasionally, once every couple of years. I would say. Um, oh, you you really you only see him every couple of years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw him recently, just by accident, at my younger brother's place, and uh, he, he he popped in. I talked to him, but before that, I hadn't spoken to him for two years. I mean, I hadn't. Yeah. Was that because there was any big conflict or fight or? No, or... no, no. There's not. There has. Oh, it wasn't. God, it's a heartbreaking. Yeah, it wasn't like a specific moment where the break happened. Hmm. Um. I think. 
there's there was there was an incident in my mind that happened really early on where he was so angry at my my older brother and he criticized him so much for something i thought was uh, it, no it was for me it was the opposite i thought my brother was doing well in his life he had his own business he was making money he was doing a lot of things my father got so angry at him and i felt like man that was so unfair like what you said was so unfair and after that i didn't want to be like in a good relationship with my father like i didn't want to be like oh have a good relationship with my father if my brother gets that level of criticism like it would just be unfair so i just said kind of what was the criticism it was i think he, like he was just like angry about you know clean up your room get organized you don't have a real job you know you you you're you're living in the basement you should be paying rent it's like a whole whole rant a huge long rant of 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 just everything possibly wrong and uh it was it was I don't know. It wasn't like coherent. It wasn't like okay. Here is logically what it just seemed like anger for the sake of anger. And what do you think the anger was really about? That's a good question. I, I never stopped to think about it. Um, I think, oh, man, this is just a. To- I'd have to totally guess. Maybe. In my mind, my brother was doing well. He was, at a young age, like maybe doing better than my father was doing at his that age, perhaps. And maybe he felt, you know, he he wanted to point out areas where where my brother wasn't doing well to to bring him down a notch. This is a guess. This is a total guess. No, I mean it's it's what they call leveling, right? Which is if you feel that uh, you've somehow become diminished in status relative to someone else, that you, a lot of people have an urge to, to, to bring that person down. Yeah. And uh, the things that he was criticizing your brother about, they don't sound hugely um, important. Yeah, I agree. They were not. Because we were just talking about this earlier, like about how uh, criticisms that you can't deny, but which you think are much less important than the people criticizing you for. Right. Uh, You know, like when I was in boarding school, it was like, Mr. Molyneux, your lace loops are of a different size, right? Like it was was that level of just stupid, stupid consistency, you know? Your, your, Your lace loops are of a different size. And this must be fixed. Yes. You know, to which I can literally only roll my eyes and say, is this where we are as human beings in this environment that I now have to, oh, you know, like your, your garters are not pulled up. Mm-hmm. Somehow. That's what keeps your socks up, right? Somehow this is disrespectful to God. I'm like, like just, okay, I can't disagree with you. Yeah. My, <laughs> my, uh, my, my, Lace loops are, in fact, of a different size. Mm-hmm. But, God, I hate to live in a world where you consider this an important thing. Like, I hate to live on that planet of just tininess. And, and 
again, I'm not trying to <laughs> condition your response or anything, but that's sort of what comes to mind when he's yeah. nagging at your brother about sure. stuff that is not particularly important. Yeah, but yeah, the funny thing is that he, my father nagged my older brother about that, but he didn't really bring up that kind of stuff to me, and he was much softer and gentler if he did criticize me about such things. And he kind of, I always felt like my dad kind of respected me and thought I was doing well. I was, you know, kind of doing well in school, headed towards university. That kind of, he kind of just had like a positive opinion about of me. And, but at that, that argument, when he got mad at my brother, I saw, it felt like it was all laid bare. And I was like, okay, how can you accept your father being kind of nice to you when he's criticizing your older brother for such petty things, right? I couldn't, it was like the truth came out, like atheism or something, you know, it was like, you know. No, like you, you see the mechanics of a personality yeah. really deeply. That is really tough. Yeah, when, when, you, when you see the dysfunction of a personality. I mean, when I first realized that my mother could never admit fault, I mean, I was like, oh, gosh. Like, when you really see that, I was pretty young. I can't remember how old I was, but it definitely was by the time we came to Canada when I was 11. So it was before that, I just, I really realized that my mother would never, ever admit fault. She would never admit to being wrong, even if she was obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, when you see deeply into that kind of pettiness, um, it is really tough to uh, to unsee it, you know. <laughs> Please poke out my eyes. I wish I hadn't seen that in a way, but... Once you've seen it, you've seen it, right? Yeah. What's your father's relationship to the larger society, to the police, to, I mean, is he a justice warrior? Does he not so much focus on that? Or? No, no nothing, nothing like that. Uh, he's, he's, he's perfectly, like, law-abiding citizen, pays his taxes, does, I mean, uh, Sometimes we, my brother brought up the idea of, like, when we discovered, when my brother first discovered, like, fiat money system and terrible the way things are done, and uh, he brought it up to my father, and my dad said, yeah, I already knew that. I studied banking. I wanted to be a banker. And he, and it was just very dismissive, like, yeah, I knew all that stuff already. But he didn't seem to see, like, the larger implication about society, right? So sort of like, yeah, that's just the way it is, right? Well, then also, so, you know, when, when my daughter says that she's discovered something cool, I don't sort of say, well, I've known about this for years, because the whole <laughs> point is that it's her interest that matters at that moment, not my knowledge, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It's funny. Yeah. Like, Dad, did you know the Earth is a sphere? Oh, yeah, I've known that for four decades. Let's move on. It's like, no, it's the fact that, that she, right, that, that she, I can't say circle because I'm speaking to a physicist. I know I'm going to get those comments. But, I mean, the fact that, the, it's, it's the fact that, that, that she's excited about it and interested in, well, what do you think? Or, you know, how did you find this out? Or isn't it weird that we're on the bottom but not falling off or whatever, right? I mean. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff is missing. Man, man. Uh, and are you are you uh, out out of your um? Where do you stand with regards to your anxiety or or depression now? 
where do I where do things stand with my anxiety and depression? Um, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm doing like amazingly well. Like I'm uh, I basically started by walking every morning, and then t- facing my fear by talking to people, facing my fear by sending messages to people I haven't talked to in a long time, and constantly doing that, facing my fear by applying to jobs. Like I started working just a week ago. Um, I I starting my own business by um, at you know that, that it's very small scale right now, but facing my fear are things I planned I had thought about doing for a long time, but I never had the courage to do it or go follow through it. Every time I think about these things, I just I just put myself out there. I face the risk, I take the the risk, and I'm I feeling more and more confident every time. I, I'm pushing myself every day, and I fe- I'm getting good results. Like, um, and you know, things that don't go exactly so well, I, I kind of like take it as a learning experience, and I continue. I go to the next step. So I feel like like a changed man. I feel like wow, by just by confronting my fear every time, I'm I've moved, I've moved mountains. I've transformed my life. I'm. Uh, my apartment is clean, my cleaner at least. My, you know, um, I'm more organized at work when I'm planning my lessons. I'm, I'm, I'm more positive. I'm happy to talk to people. I'm smiling more. I'm, I, I see, I, I, I talk to people. I see people, and I, um, and I want to interact with them. And if I've, I'm afraid to do it, I, I, I want to interact with them even more. I, I push myself more. It's like, it's, it's. Night and day, I feel like a, a new man. I feel like I'm capable of anything. I mean, that's great, and I, you know, I commend you obviously on your wisdom to notice that if you're afraid of something, if you take a step backwards, fear takes a step forward. If you take a step forward, fear takes a step backwards, and um, that's really a, a very fundamental thing to understand. This is, you know, not. You obviously not this category, but this is my this is my issues with the like the the, the women who heard uh, rape statistics that they didn't like, uh, and and they need the hug rooms and they need you know people to avoid talking about these topics. And it's like okay, so you're afraid of data, which is kind of like a weird thing. Like you've got uh, some irrational pathological fear of Star Trek characters or whatever, right? But you're afraid of data, and and therefore, but if you if you take a step backwards then the fear takes a step forwards and eventually it just crowds you and you're like thinner than paint against the far wall you crowd out it crowds you out of your whole life you have to grit your teeth and you have to walk into the fire and then you'll find that you know like moses with the red sea it parts in front of you but if you run away you drown and if you step into it you walk on solid ground it's just one of these weird counterintuitive things but i had to almost drown in order to really (laughs) really realize that i was at i was just at the bottom i couldn't do I couldn't go any more limited in my life right. than my own room, right? And you know the the rent wasn't being paid and things like it was ridiculous. It was to the point of okay, I'm gonna get kicked out, I get evicted. So like that level of just there's nowhere else to go. That's the point where I had to face my start facing my fears, right. And then it just now, I mean, I don't want to, and I like, I hugely commend you for that. And and I, I mean, there is a certain amount of mental health that I believe is dependent upon willpower. 
Now, I mean, you know, you need to have good information to, to know where to exercise your will. But as you said, like I was scared of something, just had to force myself to do it. Just had to make myself do it. And next thing you know, I, um, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm doing better and the fear diminishes and, and so on, right? Because I, it was sort of struck when you said, like I was watching these police brutality videos and these people building their own worlds videos. Because when people are building their own worlds, that's sort of like repetitive thinking or to some degree propaganda or a repetitive exposure to the same kind of information. Like okay. you're building your own world, you're building your own, not empirical world, but it's a world of mental constructs like yes. Minecraft or whatever, like yeah, you're building yeah. your own world. Right. And in the same way, paranoia or, or anxiety or depression uh, tends to have you go back to the same repetitive stimuli. Like whenever I notice... Uh, that I'm stuck in a rut, I just try and expose myself to new information or make different choices than I was making before, and that usually sort of shakes me out of any kind of rut that I'm I'm in. So I you know commend you for for getting that and and acting on it, and uh, of course for sharing your story, which I hope will encourage other people. You know you you do have to take that take that step forward, and if you run away from fear, it'll just hit you like a tsunami. But if you step towards it, it usually backs off. Yeah, and and my 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 advice to people out there is practice. You know, when you're afraid of something, that's a signal to act. And you know, practice overcoming fear with the little things. You know, like every time, like the small things that you're afraid of, push yourself to do that. And and if you keep doing it a lot, you start to realize how powerful pushing yourself is and you start to act it in more and in, in bigger things and bigger things and you've kind of relished the fear because you realize oh good things come when i face it so you know practice facing your fear that's my biggest advice keep take it as a practice uh, yeah and you have to assume that your actions will give you the maximum amount of control possible. I mean, I'm very much one, I want to sort of return to your earlier criticism, Mark, but I'm very much one for assume maximum freedom until proven otherwise. Uh, assume maximum self-responsibility until proven otherwise, right? right? And so, you know, when it comes to the black community and the relationship that I have with the black community, it's probably quite annoying to a lot of people in the black community, right? Which is that my, my basic perspective is, okay, let's try living as if there's no racism until you've reached the absolute end of everything you can do to improve as a community. And this is true for all communities, not the black community in particular. But live as if there are no limits. Take 100% self-responsibility. Once you have done that, for a considerable period of time, everything that's left, then you can start to look at racism. But right now I'm concerned that, you know, when you were facing your anxiety and you began to focus on the externalities uh, and, and the, the injustices and, and the racism and the police brutality and so on, that it drained you to some degree of your will to change your own environment for yourself. You know, as if you look at a tall enough mountain, you ain't going to climb, Right. And so my particular approach has been, and I know it's an annoying approach, and I'm not even saying it's a fair or valid or true approach. I just think it's the most practical and helpful approach, which is to say, okay, let's, you know, let, let's pretend there's no such thing as racism and nothing that limits us coming in from the outside society. Okay. So if, if we assume that, 
And if we assume that all the deficiencies within our demographic are due to things under our control, mm-hmm. yes. then for sure, as much as can be solved internally will be solved. Right. 100% responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I mean, as you know, I came from a very disadvantaged uh, and, and abusive background. And at some point, I had to either say, this is going to run me, or I'm going to assume that there's nothing that's going to stop me from achieving what I want. And, you know, to, to a large degree, that, that has been uh, the case. And again, I'm not trying to say that my experience is, you know, directly transferable to the black experience in, and so on. But my goal has always been to communicate, to say, once you have done everything you can do, then you can blame the rest on racism. But my concern is that okay. by blaming things on racism, particularly structural racism where nobody has to be racist or say something racist, it's just there somehow, you know, even without the evidence. The, and if there's no evidence for it, it means it's buried and it's the unconscious. Like, it's just like that to me is like I'm, I'm limited by ghosts. I, I, you know, I can't achieve because unverifiable imaginary things, right? And, and so my encouragement has always been pretend that there's nothing outside there, outside of the world, limiting mm-hmm. your potential as a community. Mm-hmm. Now, if there is excessive arrests of black people, excessive police brutality or excessive deaths among blacks from the police, grit your teeth and say, what can we do differently as a community to affect this? Because my concern is, you know, run to the government, run to the media and racism, racism, racism and, and so on. Uh, yeah, okay, that's racism. I get it. Like, I mean, the weird thing is, is that as a white man, I get it in some ways even worse than other demographics because it's perfectly permissible to say absolutely horrible things about white men and there's no media that runs to <laughs> the defense of white people. So there's a kind of helplessness when you see all the negative things associated with with being white and male. And nobody's like, everybody just piles on and there's not even any pushback in general. And if you stand yeah. up for yourself, suddenly you're some sort of white supremacist. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just nonsense. And of course, nobody yeah. wants to ask about that in general. But I try not to let that limit me, right? I mean, there's lots of topics that are supposed to be taboo. Mm-hmm. You know, like some of the stuff we've talked about tonight. I'm not, I'm not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to talk about it. Or maybe just not with me. I don't know. I'm glad we have the conversation. So my goal has always been assume everything is 100% your responsibility. Yeah. Because and now, is it? Of course not. Of course not, right? Are there limitations on the black community that come from outside? Yes, there are. But you don't know. We don't. Nobody knows the degree to which, like, if if black people do exactly what Asian people do, will they end up like Asian people? Well, it can't just be white racism because Asians are a different ways from whites, just like blacks are. So if if the black community says, you know, forget it, we're not even going to try and act white. That's not good enough for us. <laughs> Acting white is acting white is aiming for the middle. Let's act Asian and go for the top, right? Because in almost all societies, Asians are at the top. And let's just sit even down with a, the Asians. Even in Asian societies? <laughs> even in Asian societies. There's, see, there's Asian privilege everywhere. I mean, it's like, it's, like, it's like in these kung fu movies. It's like they've never even heard of Chuck Norris. I don't know what the, pro- what the problem is. But no white privilege in kung fu movies. But... But this, like, like forget, forget acting white. Go act Asian, because <laughs> I think white people should act more Asian sometimes too, right? But, but um, you know, if, if you can aim for, like, if the black community can say, okay, well, 
Asian illegitimacy is like 20%, right? 20% of, of it's 18, 20% of, of Asian kids growing up without a dad. Black communities, a lot of places, it's over 70%. So let's aim for getting our illegitimacy rate down. Let's aim for um, committing fewer crimes, which, you know, to some degree is to do with illegitimacy in, in all communities where there's high illegitimacy, there's, there's high crime. And, you know, let's focus on getting as much information uh, from the Internet to even counter our own preferred narratives, right, which is important for any self-critical community. And self-criticism is really the basis of, of progress, right? And if, if you never take any criticism, you never get to the Olympics, right, because everybody needs to improve at the beginning, right? And so to me, I, I think it would be the most empowering thing to do is to say to black or, or any community that feels hard done by, pretend that there's no external limits to your achievement. And then once you've done that for a generation or two, anything that's left over, okay, now we can really start to talk about it because there's nothing else that can be improved internally. But you know and I know and everybody knows that there's a lot that the black community can do to improve internally. And I'm you know, not picking on the blacks, it's true of all communities, but in this case... There's this big get-out-of-self-criticism card called institutionalized racism, slavery, Jim Crow, whatever, right? And were those things true? Are they factors? Absolutely. Absolutely they were. And, uh, but at some point, um, this is either going to continue uh, and the externalization of solutions, which generally involves more government power, and it's not like the government has been super friendly to blacks throughout <laughs> the history of any country in the known universe – I mean, it was, it was the government that enforced slavery. It was the government that enforced Jim Crow. It was the government that forced Rosa Parks to sit in the back of the bus in, in Birmingham. It was the government that, that did all of this stuff. It was the government that introduced marriage licenses to prevent black and white marriages. It was the government. And so the idea, let's run to the governor for a solution. It's like, yeah. oh, come on. <laughs> come on. At some point, we got to say, that if there's a solution to be had, it cannot be found in the arms of the government. It cannot be found in political power. It cannot be found in more redistribution. It cannot be found in affirmative action. It cannot be found in the arms of the government because it's the hands of the government that strangled the opportunities for the black community for so long. And now the idea of running to the government to solve the problem is kind of what I rail, I rail against both as an anarchist and as a moralist as a whole. And so if, if I err on the side of 100% responsibility for the black community, which I get is as annoying as shit. I mean, I really get that for a lot of blacks. That's just like, don't you understand these, these problems? These Yes, I do. I do. I really do. But my concern is that at what point do we stop self-improvement because we blame externalities? And at what point does that then become a self-fulfilling prophecy that has outlived its historical fact? Uh, yeah. I, 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 I really appreciate this perspective and i really i i really agree with this approach in the sense that yeah that's what works for me right not ex stop externalizing and now i'm working on on myself and i feel like that's a solution to all problems i think i feel like that's the way i'm trying to 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 assume my life is going to be you know i have to whatever comes across, whatever comes my way, I'm going to deal with it. You know, I'm going to use my resources to deal with whatever comes, uh, and, and that's the best way. So it's a self-responsibility kind of, um, approach to all the problems in the world. Like, right? you know, this is, what can I do to fix it in my own life? Right. That's great. I really love that. However, can I say that? Yeah. You, you that level of, of 
self-responsibility is great, but I wish, uh, I, I wish you also applied that to the police and the government. Just hear me out. I know you do in other in in other contexts, but when you're you're doing the videos that are about, um, you know, cr- you know what criticizing the black response. It almost like sounds like you you're defending the government in this in that same same way. Like you you defend the no, system. No, in no, a way. no, I'm defending black people for God's sakes. Have you seen the murder statistics that have come out of the anti-cop movement in the inner cities? Do you know that this great twenty to twenty-five year decline in violence in America has begun to reverse itself? Since Trayvon Martin, and in particular since Ferguson? No, I didn't know that. Do you know that hundreds of black people have been murdered because the cops are afraid, afraid to police? There, there was a cop recently uh, who, who let himself get beaten up by a black guy because he was afraid of defending himself, because obviously the cops know what happens, right? This is not defending the police. This is defending the four-year-old kid that got shot in a drive-by because the cops don't want to go into the neighborhood. Homicides in 35 big U.S. cities are up almost 20% this year. Non-fatal shootings are up 62%. Washington, 23% increase in homicides. Baltimore, Maryland has seen a 57.6% increase. Los Angeles, 20% increase in violent crime through the beginning of August. New York City saw a 20% spike in its murder rate over the first two months of the year. This is not happening in the gated communities. This is happening in the poor communities, and in particular it's happening in the black communities. In an East Harlem precinct, shooting incidents are up 500% in a single year. South Central LA Police Division shooting victims are up 100%. You know, Birmingham, Alabama, the police detective was pistol-whipped unconscious with his own weapon by a black suspect. He said he hesitated to use force because he didn't want to be accused of needlessly killing an unarmed black man. The officer said a lot of officers are being too cautious because of what's been going on in the media. The officer, he has to remain anonymous for the safety of his family. He said, I hesitated because I didn't want to be in the media like I am right now. And so when... I'm pointing out, and I, I, look, I've never, ever, ever defended a cop who's been found guilty of a crime. Never. What I demand is that we do not lynch people in the media before the facts come in. Right? We do not do that. That is contrary to all rational principles of justice. The black inner cities are currently being overwhelmed by a criminal population. That criminal population has had a lot to do with provoking the anti-cop sentiment. They don't want cops around because they're criminals, and there are a lot of them in these inner cities. And they're setting up their own no-go zones, like the Muslim ones shooting up throughout Europe. They're setting up their no-go zones where the police have been paralyzed. Well, what happens to criminal activity when the police are paralyzed? More terror for black children, more trauma for black children, more trauma for black women, more trauma for honest, law-abiding black citizens, more flight of decent people from neighborhoods where they bloody well don't have anywhere else to go at this point. So the idea that saying, let us 
not rush to judgment. Let us get all the facts before condemning people as evil. This is not something that is somehow pro-cop and anti-black because this, the whole effect of this has been hundreds of black bodies in the streets. Can, can I say something here? You, you should. You absolutely should. Not uh, can you. You should. I, I agree with this principle. However, who is gathering the evidence? And can we trust the system of the police investigating themselves? Police don't investigate themselves. I mean, there's a whole Justice Department, especially under Holder, that has been overseeing this stuff a lot. And the media investigate like crazy. And there are tons of people on the Internet who invest like, investigate like crazy. It's not just this black box that no one can see in, that, that nobody can see the evidence, that nobody can see the facts. I mean, this isn't like Hillary Clinton's personal emails vanishing, right? This is like, it's not like they go off to some secret chamber and come out with a verdict and no one gets to ask any questions or see any of the facts. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a voluntarist, I'm an anarchist, so none of this stuff should be happening at all. But the fact that I'm an anarchist doesn't mean that I get to, react, I get to reject facts. Right, and the facts are that Zimmerman and, and Michael Brown and, and uh, all of this stuff, this is all manufactured. I remember once you said that, uh, that here's, we have a, um, a system when we, when we give the government the power that, that if there's any dispute between you and the government, the government is the one that gets to decide, you know, make the decision whether uh, what what uh, re, um, what the resolution will be this kind oh, of the resolution with the government is always the same it's force I mean that, that you, you it's comply or die it's what I've said from the very beginning and the fact that that people get killed for resisting cops or for running away from cops after they've assaulted them or whatever that's the state this is every time everybody asks for a law that's what they're setting in motion Absolutely. So I, I, you know, but that's that's regardless of race, and and you know, so if you want to, you know, keep black people alive, stop having, you know, commit fewer crimes and stop attacking cops. I'd say that to anyone, because the cops will escalate until you comply or you're dead. That's the nature of the state. Everybody knows that. I mean, there's nobody alive who doesn't know that who's you know able to tie their shoes, right? Um, yeah, I, I agree. I just feel that when I'm watching the, the system at work, I see a lot of problems in the police and government and justice system that don't really get addressed in your, your videos. It's no, 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 no. See, I, I mean, you're, you're back on this. Okay. What, what profit is it going to, how is it going to profit the black community to yeah. focus on police reform? What, what is going to be more powerful for the black community? Uh -huh. Is it going to actually get married to the mother of their children? Yes. That was going to be, that's going to, that is far more under the control of the average black person than police reform. Would it be to complete education? Yeah. Would it be to not commit crimes? Yeah. It's not a matter of poverty. 
you know, that there's lots of poor people who've just come over from China or, or Japan, and certainly throughout history that's been the case, not poverty alone, that causes this, this criminality. You know, don't, don't use drugs, right? I mean, don't speed. Don't do all the stuff that brings you in contact with the police. Don't do it. I don't, right? Because I want to be in contact with the police. I get my stickers done on my car. I don't speed, right? And so you can say, oh, well, there's the system and this and that, but that's yeah. my concern. That's a whole, my whole point is that that is taking the focus off that which can be achieved and right. improved yeah. within the community. I mean, Michael Slager and Walter Scott, you know, I took a lot of heat for my presentation on that. Did you know that uh, Walter Scott had cocaine and alcohol in his system? Uh, no. Of course you don't, and I'm not saying you should. It's just, you know, you don't have to follow this stuff like I do. Toxicology report says Walter Scott had cocaine and alcohol in his system. Level of cocaine, 36 nanograms per milliliter. He also had 1,300 nanograms per milliliter of, of benzolignocinin. <laughs> Hang on. Benzoilignunin, a byproduct of cocaine metabolism, and cocaethylene. Hey, I can do that one. A metabolite that forms when cocaine and alcohol are in the bloodstream at the same time. An analysis of blood found on Slager's clothing. Reports from two lieutenants and a police chief, all stating that Slager told them that during a scuffle, Scott had taken his taser and pointed it at him. Data from Slager's taser, which indicates that it was fired six times in 61 seconds. And, uh, you know, what was the original story? Scott and his friend were volunteering at a local church before the shooting. Well, I don't know. I'm not an expert on drug use, but having alcohol and cocaine in your system, and apparently his uh, DNA was found on Slager's taser, so why did he run? Was it because historically there's been a bad relationship between the police and blacks, well, no, it seems more likely that he ran because he was impaired. And when you're impaired, if you're on cocaine, you know, you're not noted for making very good decisions, right? He didn't want a DUI. Didn't want to lose the car. He just poured the money that should have been going towards his kids into getting special new rims for it, right? And, again, I don't know what the final answer to all of this is going to be because I reserve judgment. But these are very important facts. Listen, you understand the bias in all of this, right? In that, imagine if Michael Slager had been found to have alcohol and cocaine in his system. Do you think the media would be reporting that? Right, of course. Of course they would, because that would be negative towards a white person. And it would fit the narrative of nasty, abusive, racist, corrupt cops. Yes. So if Michael Slager, the white guy, had had alcohol and cocaine in his system, you wouldn't be able to live on this planet without seeing skywriting of that fact everywhere. But the fact that Walter Scott had the alcohol and cocaine in his system is a non-fact, non-issue, non-publicized nothingness. You have to go to the obscure recesses of the internet to even find these facts. Um, I I really appreciate the the facts that you bring to bear, and I have a new perspective after listening to like the message that you have, and actually go really the the new perspective comes from going through it myself, 
that dealing with my own issues instead of externalizing and avoiding my issues, that makes me realize how important your message is, the way you're presenting it. Um, so I, 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 I applaud you for that, and please continue, please keep it up. But is, can I give you one example during the Michael Brown case, I don't, I'm not sure if you have enough time, if time is an issue, but one example of the other side that I, I, I wish, I, I wish you, you could have seen on the Michael Brown case, like what was wrong with the police or the government side. Is that sure. okay? When I was watching your, your coverage after the, the, um, the um, grand jury came back with no indictment, and you you said during that coverage that, in your opinion, that uh, if you're not indicted, that that means you're proven innocent. And I felt like, you know, one of the reasons you said that you said that well because grand juries hardly ever do that, right? They are, they almost always have an indictment. So therefore, if they if this is a rare case where they don't even bring it to trial, that means they're totally proven innocent. Okay, I I, I got to tell you, I don't think I said totally okay, proven I'm innocent. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm, I did. I'm I'm, I'm maybe I'm, I did. I'm but definitely putting words into your mouth there. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, you said in your mind, it he uh, if there's no indictment, you are proven innocent. Okay. Um, well, and, and but technically that's not even the case. You are innocent until proven guilty, and if there's no indictment, then there's no. Sure, like technically, right? of course, technically. But I think you're. No, 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 not technically. Logically, if you're innocent until proven guilty, yes, of and course. then there's no indictment, okay. uh, and of course, um, th not being found guilty is not the same as being proven innocent. It just means that there's not the reasonable doubt or whatever. It's not the same as being proven innocent. But if there's not even enough to indict. Otherwise, anybody who has anything thrown against them and they, you know, so someone sues them and then the lawsuit is thrown out, does that mean that they're still kind of guilty? I mean, at some point we have to say that this is baseless, right? But anyway, go on. We, but we can criticize the, the judge or the, the, the way the evidence was presented, right, in that situation. Uh, and here's... here's you presented the the case very well, but here's what I felt wasn't presented: was okay. Um, um, prosecutors say that if it's a slam dunk to prosecute, they can they can get an indictment if they want to, because they're allowed to present evidence in a biased way during the grand jury uh, testimony. They're allowed to present evidence. And not and leave out whatever evidence they they want to. There there's no obligation to be fair during grand jury. They're 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 free to do it the way present it the way the way they want. So they can create an indictment or not, just the way they present the evidence. This is what prosecutors say about the process. Mm -hmm. And um. And and. The, the, the prosecutor in that in Michael Brown case, Bob McCullough, um, there's evidence of his uh, kind of bias or unfairness when when dealing with the black community. I, I'm I'm gonna 
quote one. No, but hang on. So we don't have to get into this level. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, Eric Holder's Justice Department cleared him as well. Fair enough. Uh, now, no, now no, I no. mean, Eric Holder is a real race warrior, right? I mean, Eric Holder was once asked, uh, relatively recently, he was asked, when, when does affirmative action end, right? It's been going on for like 30 years, right? It's a whole generation or more. When does affirmative action for blacks end? And he's like, oh, it hasn't even begun yet, basically. Like, he's a real race warrior. And Eric Holder's Justice Department declined to bring any criminal charges against Darren Wilson. Uh, in the killing of Michael Brown. They said uh, in the report that came out, the prosecutor said, quote, Wilson's actions do not constitute prosecutable violations of federal civil rights law. Okay, um, that's fair enough. You know, uh, civil rights violation is a very narrow standard and uh, that's very hard to prove. Uh, but no, I, I do agree with with the conclusion. But my feeling was at that point... I didn't feel like you 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 noticed the the bias in the system and the unfairness in the system that m- makes me feel like okay, you know you can't really always trust uh, a grand jury non-indictment. And there's a wait, case. Wait, wait, are you saying? Wait, hang on. Bias in the system. This guy was repeatedly accused of gunning down a black unarmed teen execution style in cold blood. And your concern is that this is somehow biased against the black? No, seriously. I mean, you need to see this from a non-black perspective, maybe even from a white perspective, right? This, This guy, and I don't care that he's white. It's not like I've got some affinity with the guy. Plus, he's a cop, so, you know, there's that whole thing with me, right? But... But this guy, people were calling death threats uh, against him. They were tweeting out his, his address. Uh, uh, he had charges laid against him. The media was calling him a cold-blooded killer. Uh, everybody was saying that he shot this kid execution style in the back, all of which were lies. People were lying uh, to, to prosecutors, and they weren't prosecuted. Uh, people openly lied to prosecutors. Like, Michael Brown's friend is dead. De- Dear God, he lied. He lied about what he saw. He was proven to be a vicious, community-destroying, riot-provoking liar. Was he ever prosecuted? No. And how... how Michael Brown's father said, I'm going to go, if I remember rightly, I'm going to go start a riot. And he went out and gave a speech that started a riot. Neighborhoods burned down, people beaten up, businesses destroyed, all based upon lies. Were any of the people who spoke these lies ever prosecuted? In a free society, they damn well would be. Sure. And you're complaining that there may be anti-black bias in this? Okay, on the other side, how many police are ever prosecuted for lying? In the police report. How often? Oh, no, no, no. Now you're, now you're moving the goalpost. Okay. You were talking about this specific case. Okay. I, I wanted... Can I bring up a point about... No. no. We're talking Sorry. about this specific Sorry. case. If you Sorry. want to change the I, argument to about, stuff in general, you brought up okay. this case, and I'm giving you a rebuttal to this case. I, I would like to point out that 
at that point, um, although I agree with the eventual conclusion, at that point, I didn't feel that uh, Bob McCullough was a trustworthy uh, prosecutor in the process. And, and I have evidence of that. Can I can I talk, mention that, or is that off? Have I moved the goalposts, or you what you want to go back to the the prosecutor who presented the the grand Darren Wilson? Yeah, who presented the 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 evidence to the grand jury? Okay, and you're saying that the prosecutor was himself biased? Yes. And what was your uh, evidence for this? Okay, so. This is from Wikipedia. In 2000, in the so-called Jack in the Box case, two undercover officers, a police officer and a DEA officer, shot and killed two unarmed black men in the parking lot of a, a, Jack, in, a, a Jack in the Box fast food restaurant in, in, in Missouri. In 2001, the officers told the grand jury, convened by Bob McCullough, same prosecutor, that the suspects tried to escape arrest and then drove toward them. The, the jury declined to indict, just like in the uh, uh, Michael Brown case. McCullough told the public that every witness had testified to confirm this version. But the St. Louis Post-Dispatch journalist Michael Sorkin reviewed the previously secret grand jury tapes released to him by McCullough and found that McCullough's statement was untrue. Only three, only three of the 13 officers testified that the car was moving forward. A subsequent federal investigation found that the men were unarmed and that their car had not moved forward when the officers fired 21 shots. Nevertheless, federal, federal investigators decided that the, the shooting was justified because the officers feared for their safety. McCullough also drew controversy when he said of the victims, these guys were bums. The two men, uh, Earl Murray and, and Ronald Beasley, had bugs. Pro- I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Bums, sorry. Oh, bums, sorry. Bums. Said bugs. <laughs> these guys are, were bums. Can you, can you give me the name of the wiki page? Uh, it, I... I I did. Or just I, the name I, of the just person. Bob McCullough. Bob, I, uh, Bob McCullough's Wikipedia page. Bob McCullough. I don't know how to spell. Okay. M A C M C M C C U L L O C H. The wiki, you know, wiki is not exactly sure. the gold standard of uh, <laughs> of information. Just uh, just so you know. Let's see here. And uh, what was the name of the uh... the case, the Jack in the Box case? Oh, it's called Jack in the Box case. Yeah. Okay. Give me just a sec here. Do 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 do. Do we have? And that's uh, yeah, it's just Martin Bomber, prosecutor. Okay. Uh, in the year two thousand, it says. It says in two thousand. In two thousand. All right. Shot and killed two unarmed black men in the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box fast food restaurant in Berkeley, Missouri. In 2001, the officers told the grand jury convened by McCallie the suspect. Okay. Uh, okay, so why did the officers fear for their safety? Okay. It's, it's, it 
it's obviously not given in this paragraph. Well, no, but I mean, if you care about this, you've got to follow the links, right? So why did they fear for their safety? I'm not saying whether it was justified or not. What reasons did they give for fearing for their safety? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't look that up. Oh, dude, come on. <laughs> you, you didn't even follow past the first link past Wikipedia? That's that's not the most the most objective <laughs> approach to things, right? You you kind of going for confirmation bias. Yeah, right? I, I I I understand. I didn't do enough research. I, I I'm sorry. I, I, so I you're concerned that I don't present a complete I, case, I, and then I, <laughs> you don't go past Wiki with with a link sure. that's I, I just clicked on here. No, no, you're right. Your criticism is fair. I'm I'm I can't say no. I can't say no. You're you're right. I um I should have. All right. Yeah, because you, you're putting this as proof of something, and you know there's something on Wiki, and yeah. Okay, but well, let's see here. Um, uh, let's see here. Jack in the box. Okay. New York Times. Yeah, it doesn't say here. Yeah, it doesn't say why they feared for their safety. Fair enough. You know what? I'm. I'm. I, I can't ask you to research it now. I'm gonna yeah, go I, I, I'm I gonna go research it. I apologize for 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 doing that. I, I yeah, you're you're absolutely right. To you're be crazy. fair, I mean yeah. which is whether this is fair or not, I don't know. But the two men who were killed had prior felony convictions on drug and assault charges. And um so uh, I don't know, you know. It, it wasn't like, you know, Dylan Roof in a church or something, right? I mean but again we don't know. Exactly. So yeah, I, I'm yeah, I, I'm gonna go do the research. I'm you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, send us a you know send us something and we'll look into it. But um, I, I mean, I just I have to tell you. I mean, I'm certainly willing to overcome my skepticism. But after a whole bunch of media bullshit about race and cops, I'm skeptical. You know, this is this is the price. Yes. This is the price, and I'll tell you something else that. Uh, riots are cheating. You know, I'm just, I'll tell you this right up front. Common law tradition, you know, call me an old-fashioned Anglo-Saxon, fogey, white asshole. I don't care, right? But riots are cheating. Because everyone now who comes across a racially charged incident is worried about rioting, Right? I mean, there's no way that Freddie Gray went down the way it went down if the shadow of potential rioting was not hanging over the deliberations. That's cheating. That is not how you get justice, is threatening riots. And that is something that is not acceptable in, um, in these kinds of situations. Look, O.J. killed two white people. <laughs> and he was as guilty as you could possibly imagine. And he, was, he got off. And it was a cold-blooded murder of two white people. I mean, I don't think the race was any particular factor. But, you know, he sawed a pretty young white woman's head almost clean off. And everybody knew he was guilty. And uh, he got off. And white people didn't riot. 
the rioting is is not the way you do it. Because now everybody knows that the threats of riots is having a huge impact on whether to prosecute, on who to prosecute, on what verdict to pile in. And I have virtually no doubt, this is just my own personal opinion, I could be proven wrong, I have virtually no doubt that the charges levied against the six cops who were around when Freddie Gray was, according to the witness, banging his head against a van, maybe hoping to win the ghetto lottery of suing for damage while in police custody, that those charges would not have been brought against those uh, people except for fear, fears of rioting. I mean, there's so much that was so fishy about that, right? Marilyn Mosby's uh, husband... Like, Marilyn Mosby told the police to go and arrest people in Freddie Gray's neighborhood because her husband was running for re-election in that district. And the police went and arrested them. I mean, the police all know this. And we, we have such a wide disparity between what the police know and what the public is allowed to understand. It's creating a massive chasm. You cannot be rioting around police decisions or justice decisions that people just don't like. That is, that is not a fair way to run a justice system, and that is putting so many fingers on the scale that nobody even knows which way justice is pointing anymore. And so, look, yes, have disagreements. I have disagreements with the police. I have disagreements with the system as a whole, as you know, <laughs> probably more than most. But rioting, no. No, that, that, is, uh, that is skewing the whole system completely. And um, the fact that there just isn't uh, these um, the prosecutions for these, for these riots, for these incitements to violence, for this lying to police. Look, lying to police about how Michael Brown was killed was an incredibly inflammatory and incredibly destructive falsehood. And, you know, you try lying to police on something relatively unimportant and you are going to be in some serious trouble. But this lie regarding how Michael Brown was killed was unbelievably inflammatory and has indirectly led to hundreds of deaths because the lie provoked the charges or the potential charges which provoked the riots, which provoked the pullback from the police, which provoked further criminality and death within the black communities in the ghettos. And to my knowledge, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think I am, he never suffered any negative repercussions. Brown's stepfather incited an outright riot. He was on tape saying, I'm going to go and start a riot. Let's go burn this motherfucker down. And uh, nothing, no charges. And people talk about white privilege. People talk, I mean, this guy openly says he's going to start a riot, goes out and starts a riot, which is very much against the law. Hillary Clinton's email server is being investigated. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it, for me, it shows like how, how you, for me, it's like, 
this is the last place you you, you, you can go for justice. The, the police are so inept. And the, the prosecutors and the judges and the whole system seems like it's a joke. Like, what are they doing? Uh, maybe but I, that, that's the maybe whole I point. spent... That's the whole point. Look, I get that the system is corrupt, which is why I don't commit any crimes. Don't give them an excuse. I've been pulled over once in my life. I'm very polite. <laughs> I keep my hands where the officer can see them. I understand that he's in a stressful situation. Do you, do you agree that the police have the, the potential to pull you over for a huge array of things, right? There's a, there, the, the, the regulations are so... Um, so many that people are constantly breaking rules and without even realizing it. Absolutely. Of course. I mean, there's, there's the Tom Woods has an argument that uh, everybody commits three felonies a day without even knowing it. Right. Right. And, and so you want to minimize your contact with the police as much as humanly possible. So pay your taxes. Don't smoke drugs. Don't speed. Don't commit any crimes. Don't text and talk and drive. Don't do any of the stupid shit that's easily avoidable, that gets you in contact with the police. Look, if blacks commit crimes at the same level of Asians do and still end up in jail far more often, I'm with you, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm right in front of the march. But this is not the case. And until blacks stop committing as many crimes, it's kind of tough to blame it all on police racism. I'm not saying you are, right? But I'm just logically, right? I mean, surely knowing the danger, if, if you really do believe, and, and a lot of people do believe, and police racism and police brutality, the last thing you want to do is give them an excuse. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm talking from a person who was, I, I think, partially in the matrix in terms of just my own self-knowledge. Like, I thought that I didn't want to, like, bury my head in the sand and not, you know, like, oh, I have to bow my head to this this oppressive police presence and, like, watch everything I do and, you know, because there, there's a risk of police brutality. There's a risk of police doing yeah. something wrong. But I, I was... But yeah, I realized that that's true. I, I should do that and do everything in my power to to minimize these things and and do everything in my power to bring about the change by modeling it in my own life of, of moral behavior. I realize that now. What I'm saying is I didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? No, and I think it's a terrible shame. I you know I'm sorry to interrupt. I I'm really angry at the media. Because the media should be providing all of this information instead of it having to come out from people like me <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Right? Yeah. You know, Mike, Mike Brown, you know, it's a case study on how not to get shot by a cop. Number one, don't do a whole bunch of drugs. Number two, don't strong arm robbery a convenience store on camera, thus sending the cops out looking for you. Uh, and number three, don't mouth off to the cops when they ask you what you're doing and do you have the Swisher box of of uh, cigars in, in your hand. And number, number four, you know, don't reach in and punch the cop in the face. Number five, uh, don't try and take the, car, uh, the cop's gun away. Uh, and number six, uh, don't uh, maybe even pull the trigger of the gun and have it go off near the cop's 
groin, <laughs> you know, n- number, I don't know what number we're on, number seven, uh, you know, d- don't run away, but instead say, oops, and surrender and take your lumps. Uh, number eight, don't turn around and charge the cop you just tried to kill. You know, this is not just magic racism. There's no one, I don't care if you're a Klingon, you're going to get shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Stay away from the cops. Obey the law. Sorry, that's the rule. You know, if you're Jewish, you're Jewish. You can't stay out of the concentration camp, but you can. And it's not just racism, right? As I've said on this show before, the number of arrests by race matches almost identically with victim reports of crimes. Right? So it's they're not just, you know, it, it doesn't happen that... that uh, Someone gets robbed by a white person and says, goes to the cops, fills out a report, wants the person prosecuted, and then says, oh, no, he was white. (laughs) That just makes no sense at all. I I agree with what you're saying. I I, want maybe just only thing I would like to hear more of is the message of the police and the government are violence. Don't. Oh, man. Don't. don't no, I mean, no, no, no. Oh, no, man, no. Mark. Oh, come on. Oh, not for me. God. Sorry, sorry. Look, there's, there's sorry. lots of media outlets that sorry. you could complain are not talking enough You're about right. the violence You're of the right. state You're and right. the reality right. of political power and You're government right. and police power. And there's lots of things I could be accused of not focusing on the reality of government power. You can't put that on me. I yeah. mean, okay. maybe your frustration okay. with the other people, that's I, not me. I, I, I meant in the context of these issues, but okay, you're you're right. You know, I, you you do talk about it more than than any media outlet you can na- mention, or even like the libertarian ones. So, yes, and we also have I a can. wider reach. Mm-hmm. Two point five million video views last thirty days. So, and the other thing too, I'm, you know, and, yeah, and this ahead. is sorry, sorry, Mark, I, I hate to. No, you you finish your thought. I'm sorry, I've been interrupting too too much. Go ahead. No, uh, no I mean. Uh, when I sometimes like when I was watching those videos during my depression or s- spiral, I I was wanting you to 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 say the stuff you had said about the state during those videos and 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 just didn't come out. So that's where this is coming from. Okay, go ahead. But do, you, do you know why? I mean, because no, now no, I no, no particular now reason why you would know why, but. I, I think know I do wanted. now. I think I do now. I think because that was not the right message uh, for the audience you're trying to, to speak to. If you want the black community to 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 um, to take responsibility to to not play the victim, right? To focus on being the victim, then you 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 wouldn't try to. Oh, here's something to be to feel victimhood about, right? You wouldn't present that in that, in that show, in that, in that context, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I hit that very hard in the Eric Garner video, and it did very few views relative to. That was sort of the experiment. And I think it's because the average, you know, I have to speak, and this is the very delicate balancing act. I don't know if you even care what goes on behind the curtain, but the very delicate balancing act is I'm teaching all the way from kindergarten to grad school. And I have to reach out to people who know nothing about philosophy or, or the non-aggression principle. And again, this is not racial. It's, it's, as many whites are stupid about this as, as everyone else. Sure. But, um, you know, when I'm taking on a major media story, uh, that is not the time. 
to bring about the massive challenges of the non-aggression principle. Okay. I mean, if I can just get an anti-spanking message in that's powerful, I'm thrilled. Okay. That. And okay. people are more curious. But you can't do the entire background to everything mm. in a current events uh, story sure. in general. Yeah. Maybe I should make those videos. If you want to, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can find a way to show me how it's done and I'll be your acolyte in this area. Um, but if you could, I mean, hey. I'd be thrilled. Yeah, it's, it's, what I've learned is it's, it's worth the effort to, 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 to make the mm. attempt, even if you fail, even if it doesn't go well, or, you know, you learn something in the process. I'm not afraid to try at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously very sensitive to failure because I want every video to lead people more to peaceful parenting and all the other good stuff that we have to offer. So I don't want to limit outreach in order to preach to the choir, if that makes any sense, because, you know, yeah. you want more of that, but you already accept yeah, that stuff. Of course, I want to get information to of people course. who don't know it, don't accept it, but of that's course. a slow process. Of course. So, I mean, maybe if I see things from a different perspective and if I can develop a video that it's different notes. Hey, maybe, maybe I see uh, that that I can get an audience that way. Well, send um, it to I, us. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe we can help you promote it. All right. Why not? I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. I, I I love what you're doing. You've helped me a lot more than just with the non-aggression principle. You helped me with self-knowledge, which is actually the biggest thing you guys have helped me with. And I appreciate that's the message I want everyone to get. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. And I got to tell you, love the chat. How how was it for you? Fantastic. I, I, I talked about everything I wanted to talk about, all the, inter- <laughs> including the personal stuff. Good. Thank you. Good. No, I I appreciate it. And you know, like they say, everybody wants to have an honest conversation about race and stuff like that. I think we actually achieved that, you know, <laughs> I think you had great Yay. points to make. I think that, you know, <laughs> like we actually had an honest conversation about race. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you bringing that stuff up. It's a, it's a real pleasure. And I, uh, I, uh, you know, I hope that we can continue the conversation. You know, if we if you do more research, want to bring more stuff back, just uh, just let us know. I absolutely do. You've you've encouraged me. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Thank you, of course, to everyone who listens to spreads, supports, loves, and hates this show, freedomainradio.com slash donate, to help us out. Uh, Of course, we can't survive without you, so please sign up. You know, make it a no-brainer thing, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can reasonably spare. Uh, It is important to get behind what you treasure, love, and care about, as we do, and you should as well, I strongly suggest, and you'll you'll feel good for doing it. It's probably the most happiness you can buy for 10 bucks a month. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I hope you'll go to freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful night. We uh, Don't forget, we're going to be doing uh, a, an analysis of the Republican uh, debate. Uh, we contemplated buying airtime, but uh, uh, Mike <laughs> is all selfish about wanting to keep both of his kidneys. Um, and uh, he's obviously much, he's kind of a biter, so I couldn't get good good purchase or leverage on his. Are they sign. charging like half a million dollars for uh, for ads? I'm not sure if that's a 30 second spot or a 60 second spot, but uh, Trump brings the ratings, and the prices always have gone has. through the roof. Yeah, always has, always will. And uh, please check out my interview uh, with uh, Dr. Charles Murray. I think I may have mentioned freedomainradio.com/slash/donate. Thanks everyone so much. Thanks to all the great callers. Have yourselves a super night. We'll talk to you soon.